period of transition for anybody on active duty to um, really truly thriving immediately upon exit. And there are some that do. There are some guys that just have their shit on lockdown. You're actually one of them, right? I mean, I don't know about that, but well, I you, mean, I did, I did a lot of things to make sure that my family was taken care of because they're the number one thing for me. So I get that. But what if you were single? What would you have done differently? I probably would have taken a little bit of a break, to okay. be quite honest. And if you knew that you were probably going to take a break, all that work that you put into getting ready to get out of the military, you probably wouldn't have done some of those things, right? Um, you would have done some. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have done everything to get me to where I was as far as, you know, all my VA appointments and, um, you know, networking and building some stuff out, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And DCAC, when I came to it in 2021, that's what really opened my eyes to like, hey, there's all these opportunities out there. All right, well, listen, let's back up, right? So first things first, Chief, or Ninja, why don't you, <laughs> all right, your, co your call sign's Ninja. So why don't you explain to people who you are? So my name is Jesse Kendrick, I'm with Overwatch. Got my start with uh, them or you, or us, our tribe, our misfit toys, um, back in 2021. But prior to that, <coughs> I had joined the Navy in November of 2001, November 7th, 2001. Now, uh, that's that's interesting. So with going back, though, before that, what's your story? Uh, only child, uh, one of three, one of ten. Where did you grow up at? Where nope. do you... So, uh, Florida, is that where you're from? Nope, from Colorado originally. Which part, like Durango or? No, I was born in Glenwood Springs, so okay. north of Aspen, and then I grew up on the um, eastern slope in between Denver and Colorado Springs, a little town called Palmer Lake. Nice, was it cool? Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Um, really small town, small town feel. Um, What'd your folks do? I mean, what, why why they live there? Was there an industry there? Was that his job or her no, job? My, or? Uh, my mom actually is from Texas, or was from Texas. What part? Um, she was, well, her father was in the Air Force. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, she was born in Houston. Okay, so yeah. your grandfather was Air Force. Mm -hmm. She was born in Houston. And you were born in Colorado, though? Right. What brought them to Colorado from Houston? Well, um, I don't really know. Okay. I don't really know. So uh, from the time that I can remember talking to my mom and dad, like there was no real relationship on my mom's side with the grandparents. Okay. Like something had happened. I got you. That happens. Yep. A lot of families. Every family has a falling out with somebody. It seems like. Right. 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 And so, um, my dad was my mom's second marriage, and she had a son with her first husband, and he worked in the oil industry, and traveled the world, um, working the oil industry, but. Uh, Why did you join the Navy then? How about that? Let's shift to that one. At what point? You, so you have brothers. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have one half brother. One half brother. And we have mutual friends that knew that guy, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how we connected. It somehow. That is how we, we got our start. I think it was your half brother was connected to Stock, who right. connected you to me because he heard you were Navy and I was Navy. And Stock's just intuitive and smart enough to know, like, hey, dude, I have a Navy guy that I work with. Let's put some dots together. At the time when we met, though, it was August of last year. Yep, that's when we did our first like teams call. Cause remember, the world was wild. 
right? Yeah, I mean, COVID. You started Overwatch in 2019, and I came into that two years after your start, and that's when we first had a conversation. You just, you know, let me know what was going on with the business. Hey, we've got this conference. Come check it out. And I was kind of in a dark place then, you know, because I was having to make a decision. Am I staying in the Navy? What am I going to do? I have all these soft skills. What industry am I going to target? How am I going to do it? You know, we're here in Tennessee. The housing market is wild. You know, the world economy and things going on in the world, like it's not going to be super easy for us to move even under the Navy's umbrella. You know, because the Navy always comes in and packs all your stuff up and PCSs you wherever you got to go. But you got to get housing wherever you go, right? Yeah. And that was an issue at that time. Getting um, housing because you couldn't get Navy housing or you wanted to be able to buy a house off post or something? Both. You you couldn't get Navy housing. The wait lists were like eight months. Really? Oh, yeah. At the major at the major places, right? Like Jacksonville, San Diego. So let's go back then. So you introduced yourself. You, uh, you enlisted in the Navy from Colorado? I did. Actually, at what age? What age were you? Uh, when I officially did it all the way, I was uh, 22 because I had actually – Were you a problem child before this? Oh, yeah, for M- sure. Most of us were misfits before we did it, I guess. But so 97 is when I graduated high school. 97, so – But I had joined the Navy, you know, two, three months before I was going to graduate. You know, you dep in, yeah. but you're not officially in until you say it the second time and actually ship off on the plane and then get on the bus and then you're on to footprints right yeah so i backed out of that first first enlistment so in that first enlistment what what did you sign did you have a contract for something i did what was the rate uh it was at same thing that i ended up going in to do except when i went in in 2001 i came in as an air crewman under an air crew contract so it's a challenge program it's not like SEALs or SWIC or Air Rescue, it's still a challenge program, but, you know, you, you got a long school, so it's a six-year contract. So what's the school? Okay, so hold on. What's an AT? Aviation Electronics Technician. Okay. So you picked that rate. Why? Um, well, I mean, I don't know if I picked that rate or it picked me because the way it works is you take the ASVAB, right? Right. And then there's different sec- sections of that test that tell you, you know where you'd be good at so so pause real quick yeah people that are listening like these there are podcasts we do in the revolution that are really focused more on just like you know i did podcast yesterday with a couple of the most senior thought leaders in our industry and it was amazing right and those people are they just they're civilians but they have amazing past stories and how they it's amazing how much grit is in this industry when you talk to the people in leadership they've fought themselves into the roles that they're into by you know, uh, battling anxiety, you know, a lot of personal things that you have to, you know, challenge. Plus, we have a lot of external challenges and resistance that we have to overcome to to be successful in any industry, right? And right. I really like to hear their stories because um, I think a lot of people can relate. And, and in our minds, when we are left to our own thoughts, we are the worst, right? We are just right. going to destroy ourselves if we don't break those thought cycles sometimes. And it's uh, all people, not just veterans or active duty or and it's, I mean, I always say this, anybody could have PTSD, right? So there's a lot of people that carry a lot of baggage around with them. And, um, you know, that typically equates to really poor trust issues in things or people or programs or, you know, entities like companies or governments or something. So 
you have a lot of negative stuff that you're battling through to try to find hope and positive things. So I had these podcasts yesterday with all these amazing data center industry thought leaders that are helping me understand the industry better. And then I do a fair amount with some that are both military and industry veterans, and then I do some that are just military. And I just did one with Tim Kearns because Tim came to his first DCAC, and I wanted to hear his his lead up to that because I knew I was doing this one with you, and I I really wanted to hear the parallels in those two things because there's a lot of things that you, I mean, he's active duty master chief, you're a retired right. chief, petty officer, and you still have the ability to coach him now and tell him because you are advanced. I mean, you are further along, more experienced than, and, well, well, and here's he's the thing. this message. And I've, I've told plenty of people this. It was much easier to get into the military than it was to get out. Oh, that's great. Especially word. after staying so long, you know, because you're in your comfort zone. Yeah, that's what I was, the longer you're there, it's... Yeah, you're in your comfort zone. It's, it's the easy button, right? Like, well, I can take another set of orders and, you know, prolong me getting out. But at some point, we're all going to hang up the uniform. Yeah. Right? You can't wear it. The party's forever. over. Yeah. yeah the only thing that you have after you hang up your uniform is your family, whether that's your, your family, that's your direct family, my wife blood. and kids and, you know, all the extended family, the in-laws and everything. Mm -hmm. But then you have your Navy family too, you know, and the, the chief petty officer mess is a, is a very exclusive fraternity, you know, and we have a huge network, but that's, that's, you know, without getting too too deep into it, that's one of the things that you learn is it's okay not to know something in the Navy. It's okay not to have the answers. But as chief petty officers, we know where to go. We go to our network. Yeah. And we can reach out around the world. I would say that, you know, obviously strategically we get a lot of the things that we are tasked to execute upon from, you know, the senior officers but it's really the senior NCOs that run the Navy they're the ones that bring the vision to life and it's no different than I, when I was explaining to Dean Nelson I'm like Dean you're a admiral like you know the Kavas of the world or the mm -hmm. Christian Bilates but they're not going to like Admiral Bull Halsey didn't didn't bring all of his stuff to life he just had the ideas of what they wanted to do it was all the sailors that were being managed by all those chiefs and senior chiefs and master chiefs that were the ones that were actually bringing it to life and it's no different here it's a team effort yeah. It's a team effort to execute whatever it is, whether it's a business, whether it's a Navy, whether it's an economy. It's a, it's a team effort. You have why leadership and what leadership, right? And that's what it is. So I think that there's a, a big transition, but there's a huge uh, network that exists within the guys that you and Tim and other chiefs and senior NCOs run through where you guys really look out for each other a whole other level. We look out for all veterans, but that's a whole other subset sure. of that that probably yep. is codified harder than – you know other things because you know what you all went through to be you know put those those anchors on so i i had him on and and every now and then i'm going to ask you guys questions you're less at it than he is because you've been a civilian for three whole months now or three four whole months. months three whole months but like from for the people that are listening because some podcasts are really more geared towards and, the, and some people will listen to these podcasts um from the industry regardless if they're active duty or or not in many cases i've learned is even the people I run into that aren't former military, they normally have someone within their family that was. Oh, sure. And and they could still, you know, relate. And mm -hmm. in most cases, some of those people will still listen. Some people will just tune this out because they're the same ones that when you have a data center conference and there's an opportunity to listen to thought leaders, you know, on stage, they're going to be the ones in the back, you know, checking their email where they could do that right. anytime, but they can't listen to, you know, some of these guys talk. So 
there's always going to be people that don't. But for this one, we created the DCAC Revolution podcast to bring in more of the thought leaders and get more concentration out of what it is they're doing to have a greater impact on what the industry does as a whole. But also because with this microphone, I can get into Norfolk Naval Base. I can get into San Diego Naval Base. I can get into Fort Hood or Camp Pendleton. Uh, you know, name the military base or the branch. Right. This allows us to get into that. So for those that aren't listening, since it'll be covering a, you know, a kind of a hybrid audience, we'll talk with every time that you say something like the ASVAB, right? So that those mm -hmm. civilian counterparts of ours, the way that it works to get in the military is you take the Armed Service Vocational Aptitude Battery, which is like the SAT for the military. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, just like uh, going, you take the SAT to figure out which colleges you qualify to. You take the ASVAB to fill, to determine what jobs you qualify for within the military. The beauty is, is now you are literally picking a dream sheet, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I qualify for these things. Man, what sounds like the most fun? What is making my engine run the most or what rev it, you know, what revs my passion the most? Right. Based on just the title, like ATET, -E whatever it's going to yeah. be. And, and, and the way it works passion. is, so, you know, it's a process. The test is the first part. Then you got to clear medical. Then you got to clear all the moral stuff, right? Yeah, the background make sure you weren't a sinner. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so once you get past all that and you're deemed fit for duty, then you go talk to the classifier. And this is a guy that's like, here's these job descriptions. Yeah. You know, here's, here's five that we have available. Schools are open with your timeline. Which one of these do you want? And it's based on the good. needs of the Navy. It's not based oh, yeah. on every, I mean, the Navy has, let's say, how many, let's say arbitrarily 300, 500 NECs, Naval Enlistment Careers. Yep. But you're picking one, but it's going to be sometimes those recruiters are like, well, the Navy needs more of this. So they're really going to try to see how we can beef sure. up these ranks in this. So when you did it, what were some of your options? AT, obviously, where else? <laughs> so both times. Did you not score high enough to be able to get on a submarine? Is that what it was? They or? wanted me to be a new. And, but you don't want to be on a boat? Uh, it wasn't that. I don't like math. I, take a number. I don't like math. And that, the Navy nuke course, it's like the Navy SEAL course for, for your brain. academics, <laughs> for, for brainiacs. It's tough. So it's it's a tough course. It's People don't lot. realize that it, when I was active duty, that had the highest suicide rate for any educational institution in the United States. People didn't realize it back then it was in Orlando, but people would just go to the top floor and throw themselves off like almost once a month, yeah. knowing that they probably wouldn't die, but they were like, that's my way of making sure I'm out for good. Right. It's just so much pressure that goes in because you're in a room like this with no windows, everything that you're being taught in those types of school is uh, very, um, it's classified at a higher level, so sure. it's not like you can take your homework home and study on it. You're in those things, and if you don't do well, you're in mandatory night study in the evenings. It's a task, but you, but that answered my question. You picked what you wanted based on your passion, not because of, you're like, that sounds like fun. I want to be in aviation. Well, so I'm, a, I'm an 80s kid, man. I was born in 79. Lean forward a little bit. And, um, you know, Top Gun. Of course. I mean, that, that hooked me. You know, that hooked me. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly. Um, but I didn't want to go to college. So you want to be on a crew but not have to be – because you, you have to go to college if you want to be in the cockpit, right? Right. Yep. And I didn't want to do that, but I knew that there were other opportunities because my mom, um, growing up, we lived in Palmer Lake, like I said, which is just north of Colorado Springs. She worked at the Air Force Academy. Beautiful. Beautiful yep. school. Beautiful campus. Amazing. Beautiful campus. And so my family used to own a ton of land just north of the Air Force Academy. And they were actually, you know, people in my family that were in the Air Force were 
partially responsible for scouting that site and saying, hey, you know, this is where we're going to put this service academy. Nice. I have some cool pictures of them doing aerial surveys and stuff, okay. which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, my mom worked at the Air Force Academy. Nothing fancy. Um, my parents were already divorced by that point, and she was in food service. But where do you get to interact with the most people? In food service. Everyone's got to eat. Yep. So there was a cafeteria, and I would go to work with her, and I just ran around the Air Force Academy at like 10 years old. How cool would that be? And so then, like I said, I came from a broken home, divorced family. And, uh, you know, my mom recognized that there were some good programs out there. So I had Air Force cadet mentors, like big brothers, big sisters. Um, one gentleman in particular, uh, Rob Perez, uh, one of the best quarterbacks Air Force has ever had. And so that was my big brother. So I would go to, like, training camp i would go watch tape with these guys i would go to class with them that's awesome i mean it was it was something special so i knew that the military was where it was going to be and i thought it was going to be the air force right and the way that i got hooked into the navy besides top gun was there was this uh lady that my mom worked with and her husband was a retired mass chief from vietnam and so we didn't have a lot of money. We were poor. We were on food stamps, you know, things like that. But my mom always tried to make Christmas special. So she hooked up with these folks, and they're like, yeah, come to our house in Colorado Springs for Christmas. It was just a great time. You know, it was just the four of us. And uh, like I said, this guy was a retired mass chief and just had, like, all the memorabilia and cruise books from his time in Vietnam. He served with uh, Roger Staubach. Oh, really? From the Cowboys. No and that, and that was in that cruise Navy book. Academy, right? Yeah. And uh, just a salty dude, but just, you know, was like. He's a master chief. Yep. Those are the meanest sons of bitches I had. 1%. Either. 1% of I, the Navy makes it that high. I had no idea. Tim was just telling me that he was going through the metrics. It's bananas to me, but I yeah. think it's amazing. So he, he had a big influence on me on the enlisted side of the Navy. He's like, you know, I've had a great life. I've had a great life. I did my time in the Navy. I retired, and now my wife works, and I do my hobbies, um, and yeah. So didn't follow through in '97 because. Um, but you picked the AT then. I did. I picked AT. And then, then you backed out. How do you back out? How do you back out? You just call the recruiter and say, "Hey, I'm I'm done. I'm not I'm not shipping." Damn. Yeah. And why did you tell him? Why did you not do it? Or do you not want to say? No, I mean it's it's reality. So I, I knocked up enough. I knocked up my high school sweetheart, so she was pregnant, and I came from a real religious family, and it was like, okay, we got to provide, and so time to work. You know, you can't wait seven months to ship. I mean, the baby's gonna be here. You know, that's soon what after you're. That. That's what you were in depth. So depth, you said, hey, I was in the depth program. Yep. That's the delayed enlistment program. That means you could sign up, get all your stuff done. They qualify you with all your things, and they're like, okay, now we just need to wait for the for your ship date for that particular job. So, you know, the schools have got to line up. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was like a six month wait and I couldn't, I couldn't do that. And obviously that was before 9-11. So um, I actually went to work for, I did a couple um, jobs for like a lighting company and then a cell phone company. I was selling uh, Nokia cell phones, you know? Yeah, you do whatever you gotta do. Yeah, and then um, 
I got into retail with Coca-Cola. And so I started off as a merchandiser, you know, stacking Coca-Cola. Um, and then merchandising coordinator where I kind of coordinated everybody through all the different routes. And then I eventually worked in the sales, had a sales route. And I did that uh, up around the Glenwood Springs area. I lived in Rifle. Um, so sometimes I ran the sales route down to Parachute if that guy was gone or all the way up to Vail. Um, so all the ski towns and That's everything. like beautiful areas to yeah. drive, man. Yeah. That's not, doesn't suck. No, but getting up at 3.30 and hitting all these uh, convenience stores and the ski resorts and then not getting back to the house till you know, six, seven at night. No, it sucked. It'd be redone, but it'd be kind of cool driving. Oh, it was. It was, being a young man. And then, um, so we have our beautiful son. I'm working. Um, and things go south with my wife at the time and so I go off to Wisconsin to uh, work with my best friend's dad who's a mason a bricklayer because he needed somebody to come up help him on some jobs so this is like summer of 2001 so this is pre 9-11 so I'm up in Wisconsin just doing this brickwork um, different things and then we're getting ready for a job on September 11th. We got up at like five, got everything loaded. We're at this person's house doing a residential job. And uh, the lady comes out and is like, hey, I think something's going on here. I think you guys should come in here and watch television with oh, me. Oh, wow. And so we went in there with her and her husband and, you know, we watched the planes hit. Yeah, I, I saw the second one hit live too. Yep, so I was uh, like, okay, well. Is that is that when you knew like, damn, I'm getting in. Mm -hmm. Is that what you said? Yep. And I was in the Navy, at basic training boot camp in Great Lakes less than sixty days after. Damn. What was that like being at basic sixty days after September 11th? Because that's when, I mean, I mean the wave of patriotism. That's at the what time. I'm saying. It was. I mean, gung ho as hell, probably, huh? Yeah. People were probably fighting to get into basic. Get all the depth guys were like, I want to go now. Yeah. I mean, so. I left Wisconsin, went to Chicago, couldn't fly out because it was like two days later, air traffic was still shut down. But you're in Wisconsin. You could drive to Great Lakes. Yeah, but you got it. <laughs> I wasn't in yet. So I got on an Amtrak. Yeah. And I rode an Amtrak all the way from Chicago back to the western slope where my grandparents lived. Um, it was like a two-day train ride, man. I was like, a lot of time, A lot of time to process some thoughts like, okay. We just got attacked. A bunch of people died in New York City, and I'm going to go join the military. I'm going to be patriotic, and I'm going to defend this country. Did you just go through all your stuff again? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. All the, you didn't have to take the ASVAB again, did you? Yeah, I had to take the ASVAB again because it was uh, over two years later. Okay, so you had to start over again, yep. but you still chose that rate. Well. Like you didn't lose a bet. No, I chose a different rate. So I'm they joking with you. They, st <laughs> they still wanted me to go in as a nuke. I'm like, no, not going in as a nuke. But I had a recruiter, AMC Cornut, different recruiter because it was a different office. <laughs> um, and he was an air crewman. He was a P3 air crewman. And he's like, this is the life you want to live. Maritime patrol and reconnaissance in the Navy. You're he's back on base every night or something? or Well, you just, you know, our planes are too big to land on a carrier. Yeah. So we're land-based. Yeah. You know? Per diem, Smart. living in a hotel. 
or you know later down the road um, you know when our mission shifted from ASW hunting submarines to ISR overland reconnaissance um, yeah then you live in some austere conditions right and do some different stuff but getting back to it I took the train across the country back to Colorado back to where I'm from and uh, my grandfather picked me up at the train station and like we kind of talked about I was a misfit too you know got in quite a bit of trouble and uh, he's like hey if you really want to do this we support you but do it for the right reasons and uh, gave me a hug and my my grandfather was a man of few words and not super affectionate you know so for him to say something like that and then give me a hug I was this like, is a different okay. grandfather not the Air Force grandfather no I never met the Air Force okay. grandfather this was my dad's father gotcha. and uh, he served uh, during the Korean War so this grandfather was active duty as well well he started off they had different programs back then right like so he was out of high school and joined the Naval Reserve and so went out on like a tiger cruise right mm -hmm. and was like I'm out this is not for me I, I don't want to be in the Navy. I don't the like Navy ships. said, we're not doing that anymore. We're turning people off. Yeah, and so then he went into the Air Force, too. And he went in to be uh, a mechanic and did his time up in Wyoming and did some time overseas, um, not in Korea, but in support of Korea overseas. Sure. Um, but so he's like, hey, I support you. You know, cool. do it for the right reasons. And so we went in there, and yeah, the recruiting offices were definitely busier than usual. Yeah. Um, but the the Navy guys were the only ones that were like staying there because I got there about 11 you know Marines were like hey we're going to lunch we'll be back Air Force office was just completely closed you know sure and people just sitting around waiting outside but the Navy guys were like come on in come on in and so uh, the DLCPO or the rink at the time the recruiter in charge and the division leading petty officer or chief petty officer for that office was AMC Cornut, who was the air crewman. And he's like, you want to do, do He's like, you, you already qualified AT last time because they could see all my stuff from last time. Um, he's like, do the air crew program. He's like, can you swim? I'm like, yeah, I'm a good swimmer. He's like, well, you're going to have to swim a mile in a flight suit. That's awesome. And I didn't I'm know like, you guys had to do that. That's yeah. great. I'm like, okay. Well, I can do it. You know, I'll train up to it, you know, and that's what we did. So it's almost two years of solid training between ATA school, air crew school, and then your fleet re replacement squadron. So I didn't get to my first operational squadron until 2003, early 2003. Some people don't realize how much training we go through. Yeah. Before we even hit the fleet, you know, it's so a ton. yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff that's learned there, and and I think that the thing that I need to talk, the reason why I'm interrupting you, and I'm I'm going to do that, and you know, I'm I'm horrible at that, but I do want other people that are going to be listening to understand. When you are in college, I have a son who's a freshman in college. You have a son that just graduated Colorado State and is an yep. engineer, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in college, like you're paying somebody to go to school. And if you don't go, they don't care because you already paid them, right? <laughs> right. Whereas if you're in the military, there is an allotted amount of curriculum that they've put out every day. And every day it could be testable. And they normally at some points, so mm -hmm. I was getting quizzed every day. The interesting that's 
nothing from it, you know, being educated and trained civilian counterparts. Like, yeah, we all have education and training. If you're a union electrician, you're going to all kinds of training. Let me tell you the difference in between training in the military and training as a civilian. In the military, I would go to school Monday through Friday, and I would march to class with my team, and I would mm -hmm. sit in this room, and if you got caught falling asleep, I mean, there was no missing classes. You were never oh, yeah. late to class. And like I said, they put out stuff every day, um, you know, big tests, practicals, a lot of hands-on stuff. And the interesting thing that the military does from a training perspective is if on Friday when we took our, our big exams because we were taking big tests every Friday, if you failed that test that Friday, guess what you didn't do all weekend? Liberty. Have liberty. Yep. Guess what you did? You were studying. You were back up at the schoolhouse. And as I said, you're in – You were doing night class because then – Mandatory you know, night study the oh, whole yeah. following week, 7 yep. to 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Regardless, you knew you were a mandatory night study the whole next week. Yep. Plus, you had lost your weekend, and you were going to be training and learning so that you can catch up, right? So there's And that's a motivator, right? Like, I don't want to be on night school. I want to have my weekend. And if you get even worse, you know, they could take away rank or pay and, you know, all mm -hmm. kinds of things. But – there's a little bit more pressure coming at you in the way that you're educated and trained in the military versus as a civilian. It's more like, hey, if you don't want to, don't, right? You're paying for it, but um, or we'll just replace you with someone else who wants to do it. In right. this case, the, the, the way that they have your control of your life is with a great more deal of leverage, and they want to pressure test that harder. So in their defense, the military, I felt, did an amazing job of just teaching me how to learn. Absolutely. Right? If you're a guy like me, what I've learned is, m in most cases, those outliers, the islands of misfit toys types of people, you know, what doesn't serve them well is a youth sitting in class because they can't sit still or this and that. I'm a living example where, you know, I was always reprimanded for moving around too much. I, I, it may not be a big surprise to anybody, but I think <laughs> every one of my brothers and I were all diagnosed with, you know, ADHD or ADD. And I think the only medicine at that time was like Ritalin or something. And my right. mom's like, how about we just put them in? martial arts and wrestling and see if that Sports. takes yeah. it out of them. And that's all we did, right? We didn't need all the other stuff. And and it, you learned as you get older to weaponize those things that that uh, could get you in trouble. It, you're sitting in a homogenous environment where they just want you to sit still and listen and mm -hmm. pour everything over you. It does help as you're more creative or you know you get older. But the training profile is different. So when you say, hey, we went to two years of training, I would say from a pressure-based perspective, it's probably emotionally as taxing as four years of an advanced, very challenging college degree. Well, sure, and you, and you gotta move. Like, there's- You have PT, you have all- Oh yeah, you got PT. I mean, but they're really trying to create a whole healthy person. And they and the military does a great job of doing that. I you do know, They make sure you're fed, you're housed. You're healthy. You're healthy, you got medical care, right? Like. They make sure that all the basics are taken care of. And they flood you with resources to teach you. Now, where it starts getting complicated is when you bring your own personal family into it, right? Because then you have a spouse and kids and, you know, it's it's a lot of resources that have to be expended. So childcare in the military is a challenge right now. Um, but they're, they're taking steps to address it, you know? Childcare across the country is an issue. So think about that. All these industries, you know, two people working in, in the family, kids, like childcare is a big thing. Oh, for sure. It's a big thing. It always has been, always will be, right? Yeah. But um, when you were in, you went to a lot of advanced training. And in the training itself, you had to learn how to learn. You had to learn how to have an immense amount of discipline and attention to detail because you knew that if you 
took your foot off the gas for a single day in school, you would pay for it for the entire weekend if you right. failed a test or if you scored, you know, if you shot the gap on a test where they're like, hey, mm -hmm. you didn't fail, but you have a consistent um, habit of just barely passing, so you need some more attention too. I mean, it doesn't take much. These chiefs have the power to do whatever, right? Right. And rightfully so, you need to be challenged. You're there for a reason. You, it's not because you have it all figured out. It's because someone oh, needs absolutely. to teach you how to do it. I think they do an amazing job of teaching us technology and advanced machines and you know weapons and things. I, th I think it's awesome. But once you got to the fleet, you, you when I got to the fleet, I felt ready. I was like, thank God that's over. I'm oh, yeah. buying down on a bit. I right. wanted to earn my warfare pen, you know, and you normally when you get to a submarine, you have one year. If you don't earn that fish, you're out. They kick you to the surface. But mm -hmm. you have pressure. It never stops. Never stops. Once never you, stops. So once you get to the once you get to your was it a fleet reserve command or fleet fleet replacement squadron. Okay. So that's like you do all your air crew training, you do all your water survival. You know all your aviation physiology that says you're you're good to go. You got to get a flight physical every year. Mm -hmm. You know, so I did that for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you're healthy enough to fly. Yeah, healthy enough to fly. Um, but you do all that initial training. So AT Aviation Electronics Technician. I'm looking at diodes and circuits, parallel series. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that was my job was to make sure all the avionics on board the aircraft. Were operational. What does that mean? What are avionics to people? I mean, does that include radar, communication? Yeah, radar, UHF radios, IFF, so weapon system. So as the in-flight technician on a P-3 aircraft, they the Navy's always doing restructuring to find efficiencies and cost savings and different things. So right when I came on, they had combined the aviation ordnancemen, the flying aviation ordnancemen, into the IFT position. So on a P three, what's that? Is that like flares? What is, I mean, it's flares. It's anti surface missiles. Oh, it's okay. Anti ship missiles. You know, so yeah. the AOs load it, but once we're in the air, you control. I'm it. the expert on it. You know, me and the taco, right? And in conjunction with the pilot, the pilot's got switches up there too. Um, so it's it's really a crew effort. Um, so were you on a P three? Mm hmm. That's so how I many people? How many people are on a P three? Uh, a crew of 12. And what are they? So you got two pilots, um, a flight engineer, well, two flight engineers, depending on the length of the mission, type of the mission. Um, and then you also have an extra pilot, a 3P. So three pilots, two flight engineers. So you have like a backup pilot just in a holding pattern in case they need to leave. No, I mean, we're doing 12-hour missions, man. So you're just rotating out. Yeah, we got a we got a rack in the back, and the flight engineers are rotating out. The pilots are rotating gotcha. out. Um how many people in the rest of it, though? Yep. So that's the front of the aircraft. So you got five there on that part of the crew. Then you have a TACO, tactical officer, you know, that's in charge of tactics and, you know, deploying the weapons and, you know, executing the mission. You have the navigator who's training up to be the TACO, but his whole job is, hey, where are we going? How much fuel do we have? You know, get this message off so that everybody knows we're okay. And then rolling back down the tube, you've got, Sensor three. Sensor three is the radar guy, right? He's operating the radar, making sure that the weather's okay where we're flying or directing us through it. He's also running our radar to detect surface contacts, and do different things like that. And then he's got other sensors that he uses too. Did you ever fly with a guy named Ryan Ogden, Commander Ryan Ogden? I don't think so. He was enlisted. He served in the Navy of Maine. He got picked up in like bro Boost, Broaden Opportunity uh, Officer Class. That was a good program. Yeah, he went straight to Ohio State. 
graduated with an aviation degree, went right into aviation, went to P3. And I mm-hmm. think, I mean, he's stationed somewhere in Virginia, I think now, some area where all the P3 nerds hang out probably. No, no. So the P3 is now sundown. We just recently sundowned it after oh. 60, le- 60 plus years. For real? Okay. Yeah, but I mean, other nations are still flying the P3. I mean, ah. Germany still flies it. And we transitioned over to a P8, which is a 737 derivative. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, so from there, so you're at this command, you get to your first P3, there's 12 of you on there. and, and On the crew, yeah. So I mean, downstream of the navigator, there's you as a... So there's, so once again, from the front, three pilots, two flight engineers, a TACO, a NAVCOM, a radar guy, and then you've got a sensor one, sensor two. These are your ASW guys, right? They're reading grams and... You know, listening to sauna buoys, and yeah. that's what they do. You know, we're hunting submarines. Then um, you have, like, an observer seat, and then you have the IFT ordnance guy, which is me. So I, I deploy the sauna buoys, you know, for the plane. We had some under the belly, and then we had a bunch that we could carry internally. And you're familiar with SUS, sound underwater signaling device. Mm-hmm. So I would deploy those or smokes or whatever. Um, Explosive yeah. echo range and buoys. Yep, ER buoys, sure. We did, uh, whenever we'd go in, well, when we went to the MAD, you know, they always had the P3s coming out of Rota, I think, mm-hmm. that were kind of doing their training against us. You know, yep. they countered it back to us before we got there type of thing. And I remember one time we picked up one of those echo range and buoys, and we had one stuck on, like, our dihedrals, we thought, right? So we had to, they had to send out the Navy SEALs or the EOD team to come to the boat, you know, off the coast, obviously, to pulled off our ship because Spain wouldn't let us pull in with it on, on us. Right. Cool job, though, probably, right? Great job. Great job. But if you look at how things progressed in my time in the military, like I trained to hunt submarines when I first came in, right? 2001. You suck. Yeah, because then we switch over 2003, what happens? You tell me. We go into Iraq. So... And then we were already in Afghanistan, right? So, so, so tell us some of that. So it sounds like you, what did you do? So then, you know, we go from hunting submarines to hunting terrorists. But, but where were you stationed? I keep interrupting you, but were you in Florida? That's where I started off was uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Well, Pens- Great Lakes for mm-hmm. boot camp, down to Pensacola for ATA school, followed by air crew school. Which is where? Pensacola. Okay. And then I went up to Maine for SEER school. Ooh, what was that? SEER school? Tell people what that is. Survival, evasion, resistance, escape. So tell them what that's all about. So that program started pretty much after Korea and after Vietnam because we had so many people captured. Yeah. And for long periods of time, like John McCain, um, Admiral Stockton, so many people were captured in Vietnam and kept the faith, right? The goal of the SEER program is to keep the faith and return with honor. How long was that training? Two weeks. And it's, so my dad did that because he's a B-52 bomber pilot and then he did POW training too. Mm-hmm. And both of those are very intense, very physically demanding, very extreme pressure testing evolutions of the military runs that are highly kinetic right so in those two and there's weeks, there's different levels of sear too so i've gone back through a couple other ones but um that initial sear that 
Navy SEALs and all aviators go through. I mean, yeah, it's intense. There's two places that we do it, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast. I lucked out. I went right at the right time up to Maine. I was the first class not to have a parachute to sleep with. I had a sleeping bag because mm. it was starting to be fall and it's up there in Maine. Um, but the summer classes, all they get is a is a parachute. But uh, so from SEER school, what do they I, do? How many of you are in that? Tr uh, you're all basically being hunted. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out the scenario is you're left here with very little, and you have to make it to a certain spot in time without getting caught and captured. Inevitably, you will, right? I mean, it's designed for you to fail. And like, walk people through how intense, because I think it lends itself to where we're going to be going to next on how I think the military does an exceptional job of pressure testing people. I tell everyone, you know, the data centers are always measured in, you know, downtime. Mm -hmm. right? That's the number one thing that we focus on is reliability and sustainability nice, and yeah. scalability, flexibility. And I go, um, and I've had a lot of people in the military, and I always say from a construction perspective, I always love the infantry guys the most because their emotional control under the most high-stress kinetic situations because they look at it in relative terms, you know, like, I've had conversations with guys like Skyler and, and Mike Maggio and Jesse mm -hmm. and Anthony, and, and they're like, no one's shooting at us today. No one's getting blown up. Everyone's going home. You know, so they look at things in relative terms. When you go through cheers training, you are taken to the limit, right, psychologically. Oh, absolutely. For absolutely. that reason. And, not, and it's not a lot of time. It's not like in corporate America we, we're being pressure tested to life and death scenarios because – you know, we measure mission critical in downtime, and I say, well, in the military, we mission we measure mission critical in our, in our own mortality. So it's life and death. So when you look at things as life and death versus success or failure, then it, it does help you rotate a little bit harder with a little bit more attention to detail and a little bit more urgency. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And that's the conditioning that I'm trying to identify is what qualifies an aviation person to be in the mission critical industry as a civilian. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wanted to highlight that. All right. So yeah, and I, it, obviously, for those that don't know what Sears training is, Google it. Yep, absolutely. Because uh, I'm not going to say much here, but yeah. there's enough open source. If you want to look at Sears training, you can yeah. can get a pretty good idea. So from there, I go down to Jacksonville, Florida. And that's your first squadron squadron? Well, that's the fleet replacement okay. VP-30. And that's where I learned to do everything I need to do as part of the crew, right, with the aircraft. And so CRM, Crew Resource Management. So you're taught that from the very first day that you get there. And it's, it's a leadership thing. It's like, hey, you're part of this crew. Your voice matters. You know? And one thing about an NPRA air crew, you have enlisted officer, right? And you're, you're flying around in a metal tube in the air for, you know, 12 hour missions. If you're on a six, seven month deployment, you might fly, you know, five, 600 hours as a crew. Do you guys ever refuel in here? KC-135s, uh, can you guys do it? P8, oh yeah, the P8 can. Okay, mm -hmm. keep going. Um, but so you get, you get very close with your crew and you know, those lines get a little blurry when you're, when you're on a mission. I get it. Between the officers and the enlisted. That's okay. And some of the best officers that I served with were prior enlisted. You know, and then went to OCS or whatever and came back because they had both perspectives. Um, and then, so I'm in, I'm in Jacksonville. I go through that whole thing, get qualified to go to my squad. 
which is up in Whidbey Island, Washington. Um, and that's where I did my first six years in the Navy. Uh, did three long deployments, you know, multiple detachments. Detachments typically for that squadron were stateside, um, San Diego. Um, What's that mean? What's a detachment? So detachment is where you're going to do some training for like is it a the, month? Is the it carrier strike group. Yeah, sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's, you know, two weeks. Um, so the Navy, when we deploy, you know, there's the whole surface component, aircraft carriers, DVGs, frigates. You have the subsurface component, which can be part of that carrier strike group. And then you have the air component, right? The air wings that fly on, the F-18s, the F-35s now, uh, the V-22s. So the air wing goes to the ships. And then you have larger support units like our aircraft that, you know, want to make sure that there's interoperability between the, between the units. So those are stateside detachments, you know, training, getting the carrier strike group ready to go out and do what they do. Um, so I did six years there, three long deployments, six months or more, multiple detachments. I, um, and all these different terrorist groups around the world were really starting to pop up, you know, after 9-11. And they were probably there before then, but I just didn't know what I didn't know. But now I'm, you know, looped into it. Like, there's terrorist groups all over. Um, so we're deploying to, to hunt those guys. Where were you deployed to? Because you're a land-based aviation element, so you had to be somewhere. Uh, Japan. Okay. Japan and then Philippines. Um, so that's where you guys would fly your 12-hour missions from? Sometimes, yep. Did you guys ever, are Navy aviation units like that ever deployed and stationed in, like, Afghanistan? Or oh, that? absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. So they kind of broke it up. We would have multiple sites that the squadron would deploy to. Like there was one crazy deployment where we had crews in Japan, and then we had crews in the Middle East as well, and then some in South America. From like, the same squadron. Yeah. That's and a lot and we would rotate them around, you know? <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's a lot to manage. It's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of travel, but you know, you're young. That was one of the main things I joined the Navy for was to travel. Like sure. how can I travel the world and have somebody else pay for it? Well, sure. I can join the Navy. It's the same thing. I say that I'm like, yeah, I went to Spain. I took the subway. Yeah. Mm. So after that, then I go back home to, I go back to Colorado. Oh, to be a recruiter? To be a recruiter in Durango, Colorado. That's probably horrible. It's excellent. It was horrible. It was horrible. Um, so I was a very small station that had been underperforming for several years. What rank are you by this time? First class. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm a first class. So I go back to um, E6. So everyone knows the ranks go from E1 to E9 as an enlisted person, right? Right. So, so you're in E6. Yep. And that was in 2009. Senior, so senior I, NCO. you know, I promoted from... E3, because I came in as E3 because I did all my homework, you know, uh, general orders, memorizing those, mm -hmm. making sure I could run the mile and a half. So <coughs> they let me come in as an E3. Um, but I went from E3 to E6 in, what is that, six years? Just fast. Something like that. It's fast. Or actually, no, 2001 to 2009, so that's eight years. Still good. Yeah, so I go do this recruiting tour, you know, because I'm a people person. I'm like, okay, that's how I get back home. Um, but 
that station had been underperforming. And so what I had learned in that previous seven years of being in the Navy, eight years of being in the Navy, is you can front load your work. And what I mean by that is if you go hard in the paint right when you start and you build out a good foundation, then you can just maintain and grow it. Right, and then you get some more cycles back because you put in all the effort to build a good foundation. And what I mean by that is I made sure that I was building relationships with all the schools, with you know other veterans in the community. Um, I did a lot of volunteer stuff and just you know got my face out there because no Navy base in Colorado, right? Sure. So how do you get that information out to people? And so it was, it was an awesome learning thing, and I helped a lot of people. Put a lot of sailors in the Navy? Yep. I asked you this like a week or two ago. I'm like, how many guys in the Navy have you ran into that you put in the Navy? Um, I wouldn't say that I've ran into that many, but I keep up with a lot of them. Yeah, that's awesome. Right? Um, I've got one sailor, Paul Valelli. He's, he's got a wild story, and it's not mine to share, but... Um, you know, I was at his graduation and, you know, you, you get very involved with the family, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when you're recruiting, because it's a, it's a family decision at that point, especially for the people Young just man. coming out of high, high school. school. Um, but so I was at his graduation and then he's just had such a successful career as a, as a CB, um, super impressive. Well, super when he comes out, we yeah. need construction battalion. CB is construction battalion for the Navy, which is exactly what the biggest in the industry needs cbs but so i've kept up with a lot of them on social media and different things and then you know i'm starting to get to be to the point where guys i put in are making cheap nice you know are getting selected for ldo or warrant officer that's awesome so then they call me you know and that's they're like hey you really you really helped me out i appreciate you you know all the mentorship that you gave me and um because that's, that's really what it takes in my mind to be a good leader, not only in the military, but in any space, is you have to invest time in your people. You have to have those conversations, not necessarily about work, but hey, what's going on in your life? How, how are things at home? What's going on with your wife? What's going on with your kids? And, and you do it organically because you want to. You yeah. want to know what's going on. Because you them. care. Because you care. But at the same time, like, if stuff goes south and I say, hey, turn two, let's do this, all the guys that I served with know, hey, okay, it's time to turn two. And I'm not going to ask twice. I'm not going to ask why. Now, it's not because I'm not going to tell them the why. It's either I've already told them the why or they know that it's a pressure situation and he doesn't have time to tell me why right now. We just got to go execute, and he'll tell me later mm-hmm. why we did what we did. Fair. And so I really feel like the relationships I developed with the people that I worked with up and down was based on a deep understanding about them personally, you know, and what was going on, what motivated them to do certain things, what's going on, you know, with your family. Because we all have something going on, right? It's not all just about work. We all have personal things that we go through and we struggle with. 
And then I think it's really important when you're working with veterans to have those conversations. So when the Spark team is working with veterans, that's one of the first things we talk about, just like, hey, what's going on with you and your family? What do you need? So so remember I introduced you to a guy named Mike Singleton, mm-hmm. and that guy was introduced to me by one of my attorneys who's a retired Army um, Special Forces colonel. Um, was a state attorney, federal prosecutor, I think. Amazing yep. guy. I've, I've had to have a chance to... He, he's the number one criminal defense attorney in, in Austin. He represents military or you know, first responders, basically, only. But he's probably one of the highest lawyers you can get, right? And mm-hmm. just to get him, he decides whether or not he wants to take you on. It's not he, He's one of those guys, right? And he introduced me to this guy named Mike Singleton, who uh, Army major, right? And, and when I ended up meeting Mike, it was after you spoke to him, and... and I think that what made my conversation with him go so well is he goes, let me tell you how how I realized how much different you guys are from everybody else that I've spoken with. He goes, because um, Mike has been pressure tested hard and he's had, uh, like most soldiers, sailors, and airmen, I don't think that the civilian community fully appreciates how massive of a negative impact and how demoralizing it was to everybody on active duty um, after the fall of, of the pullout of Afghanistan. And uh, a lot of soldiers s- continue to struggle with that. And I think I'm not trivializing or speaking for Mike, but I know that Mike was traveling or struggling with a lot of things because a lot of people put their heart and soul into a lot of things that were for nothing, it seemed like to them. And right. and when Mike came to the compound to meet with me, he was um, really unguarded. And the only thing that made him comfortable was the fact that when you reached out to him, like, I mean, how you doing? And he started talking about his career and things like, no, 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 man. How are you doing personally? How are you doing upstairs? How are you doing with your family? How are you doing as a man? How's right. your constitution as a human? And he's like, these are people that genuinely give a shit about me as a person first, not just what I can do from a career perspective to contribute yep. as a part of the cog. And that's the truth, right? So that part that you're talking about, you practice what you espouse, and that's the impact that you make. And the people on that Spark team make when they talk to these people, it's first and foremost, how are you? Right. How's your family? What's going on? Let's figure out the dynamics, the social dynamics at home have a massive impact on everything you do professionally. So let's start with that. How are you doing? Yep. And that's a piece that's missed, but that's a piece that's ingrained into us in the military, right? Well, and then the other thing that that we do and what we train to do on the Spark team is we talk about that piece first, and then we talk about how was your transition? Where are you at in your transition? This is not an easy process. Getting out, whether it's after two, four, six, 20, Especially 24. The, the longer you're in, the harder it is to get out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we always have those conversations. Have you done your VA claim? Do you know how to do one? How can we help you? Can I provide you some resources? Um, how's, your, how's your resume look? You know, do you need help? Here's some resources. Do you need a headshot? Here's some resources. There are so many great groups out there that want to help veterans, but you don't know what you don't know. So how do you get that information out? The only way that I know how to do it is hand deliver it verbally, and then I'm like, hey, follow up with an email. Here's some resources. Sure. So that's that's our first conversations with anybody that we deal with in Spark. I mean, 
it's it's important to have that foundation. I agree. You know? But I want to take you back. So um, you were telling me how you were now really getting into the the heart of the fleet, the mm-hmm. the hammer of the fleet. You know, which is the aviation side of what they were doing, and and you guys were it sounds like with a really kinetic squadron that was operating in multiple theaters and giving a lot of exposure to a lot of sailors and how to contribute. Yeah. So after my awesome recruiting tour. Oh, that's right. They wanted me to be a career recruiter. They always want you to come over to what we call the dark side, right? Come be a career recruiter. You'll never have to deploy again. You'll just recruit. And I'm like, you know, I was not married at the at that time. That's right when my wife came into my life, right at the end of my recruiting tour. Um, and she's been such an important part for the past 10 years. Um, but I had already committed to something at that point. Um, I'd already committed to going back to sea and you know, doing something that not a lot of people do. Um, very unique aviation squadron. And so, I head out to Hawaii, 2012, right? What had just happened around that time? Right before we had finally killed bin Laden, but there's still lots of terrorists out there. Um, Lots of things going on in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, the Philippines, like lots of terrorist groups out there, Mali. um, So I go out to Hawaii, and I deploy right away. Are you allowed to say what squadron you're with or no? Or? Um, yeah, all right. Just keep going. Yeah. So you're on a cool unit. Yep, cool unit. You can do cool stuff. Yep, and so my wife is still finishing um, college at that time. She went to Ohio State first, and then design is her passion, so she went to uh, Columbus School of Art and Design, and I'm out in Hawaii, so we're long distance. Right, so I do a bunch of detachments and deploying. Um, move her out there late 2012, um, and so she's there. We're we're in Hawaii for five years. During that time, I'm actually only physically home on the island um, for about two years of that. So three years You're of that five, I'm deployed, like all the time, like gone eight nine ten weeks back to out in the road again you know um so that's that's when i really got pressure tested sure so doing lots of different missions traveling all the time living out of a suitcase for months on end um but we're we're supporting you know everything going on around the world and after that then we go back to Jacksonville, Florida. I take it an instructor tour, um, which is pretty cool. You know, you get to earn your master training specialist, and you really get into the training and development of sailors from every which angle. You know, from the curriculum development to how you deliver it. You know, is it a learning management system? And technology during this time has just continued to ramp up, right? So we leverage those new technologies to train sailors. But it takes the infrastructure to do it. And that's where I first got introduced to digital infrastructure. Data center stuff, right? Yep, at my my instructor tour. Because I was doing the schoolhouse for the MQ-4 Charlie, 
which is the Navy's largest UAV. Um, so it takes a lot of you know processing power to, to run something like that. And you're writing the training curriculum to, to teach that school? Mm-hmm. Well, I was part of the team. Yeah. You, we don't do anything. Yeah, I totally that's, get it. Totally yeah. get it. Um, but I was part of that team. And so that was awesome. But it's different, right? After 15 years of doing manned flying, to go in and fly a remotely piloted vehicle in a box, it's just different. Sure. You know, it, it doesn't give you the same adrenaline kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've probably talked with people in SF or high-risk stuff, you know, even submarines and anything that you do in the Navy, working on the flight deck, you get an adrenaline hit. Mm-hmm. You know, every time a, a jet takes off, you know, you're getting a little hit of adrenaline. Every mm-hmm. time you submerge, you're getting a little hit of adrenaline. Every time you take off and fly, you're getting a little hit of adrenaline. There's no doubt. And so you become addicted to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay. And so it was a big change for me doing the remotely piloted vehicle stuff. I bet. So then I end up, there's not many orders, right? P3s are starting to transition out and go away, so there's less and less places for me to go. But there's a need for me in Millington, Tennessee. What's in Millington? People need to understand what that is significant. So Millington, Tennessee is the home of Navy HR. All the admin, all the backside of the house stuff, all the programs. It's where the detailers sit, though, too, right? The detailers, yes. Tell people what the detailers are. So detailers help sailors make decisions about their career. And they focus on one rate at a time, right? One rate or two rates, and they might have one specific section of the pay band. You know, you'll have detailers that only detail E5s. You'll have detailers that only detail E9s you know, mash chiefs, um, or like me, you'll be a hybrid because I'm a smaller rate, right? AWV um, and AWF, I did both of those rates. Um, And when I started, I had about 1,400 sailors. When I left, we were down below 1,000. So just for those rates, there were only about 1,000 left in the Navy? When I left, and Mm -hmm. as the detailer for them, you were the one that they would come to and said, hey, I want to re-enlist but I'm, my dream sheet is I'd like to be stationed here or I want to be on this shore duty or this sea mm-hmm. duty. And you had to kind of horse trade and figure out how to find something that would allow them to still sometimes, you know, they didn't get exactly what they wanted, but they got something that was good enough to keep them in, right? That right. was your job. That was my job. Yeah. So working those systems. You're still recruiting, yeah. You're still sure. recruiting, still doing administrative duties, but I'm playing chess checkers and tic-tac-toe all at the same time um so i can i can take a lot of information and lay out a long game Mm -hmm. and that's what i that's how i approached it as a detailer like okay here's when all these people rotate and i made those phone calls i was always ahead of it i would call those guys and and girls before they got into their window be like, hey, what are you thinking? Are you gonna, you know, reenlist? Are you staying in the Navy? Um, where do you want to be? Do you have a house where you, you know, are stationed? I guess it's, do you have to worry about selling a home? You're asking, right. So you're trying to see how hard it is, you know, like based on the number of challenges that were in front of them, would help you handicap basically what the likelihood of them staying in mm-hmm. would be. What were the biggest factors that were keeping people from staying in, 
and what were the biggest factors you saw? There's a linear trend, you know, like some people are like, you know, from my community was more like the SRB, you know, big fat ass SRB, signing reenlistment bonuses. You know, let's say it was, hey, Ophel, if you stay in and you reenlist for three years, you spend one more year, you know, on the seat, and then two years, you get your last two years insured with you. And you, my recruiter was, or my detailer was like, look, I'll find you a cool job. Uh, you're going to stay on the Memphis for one more year, go on one formal, one final deployment with them. And then when you come back from that one, you'll be on, you know, wrapping that one up, and then we'll rotate you into one of these options for sea duty, like instructor or working for, a, you know, Commodore. Or oh, shore duty. Shore duty. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So they were giving me options for shore duty, mm -hmm. and um, and it was like a three-year enlistment. And, and you know, no thanks, I'm good. And they're like, how about if we put you on a submarine, riding? You, you could ride a submarine out in the theater, meaning if I was in a tax-free war zone, they would let me re-enlist on that ship making my entire SRB tax-free, right? And that's... Yeah, you incentivize it. It you know? was awesome. I mean, that meant that entire... I think my SRB was like 60 or 70 then, which I'm sure it's way more than that now, right? But it was like, hey, if you stay in, we'll give you this bonus is what it is, right? Right. And that's a lot of money to a sailor that's not making... That's like... A, it's a lot of money for a sailor. It's a lot of money to a lot of people, actually. And it was a... It was not the easiest decision to say no. I just... I mean, I got out because I came in with a very specific objective and I did everything I was told that I should do before I went in. I, I had the privilege of, my, as you know, my whole lineage is military, so mm -hmm. I have access to a lot of different pockets of branch. You know, my dad was stationed at the Pentagon for a while. He had friends in every branch as well. I had a brother in every branch. Um, my father was E1 to, by then, I think he was in 04. You know, he enlisted loading bombs and F4s in Vietnam at 18, you know, and thousands of hours in the cockpit of a couple different you know aviation platforms but he f flew i think he primarily flew b-52s um you know there's there's so many different things that you can do between those various different ranks and i had an understanding of i knew i wanted to be in the navy mm -hmm. right and i knew i wanted to be on a submarine i just didn't know exactly what all that entailed so i fortunately had access to people that could get me access to others and to you didn't know questions. how long you wanted to stay like when when i joined I was like, well, maybe after I do my first tour, I'll be motivated to go to college. So I took the Navy college fund. I, I did the same. I didn't take the bonus. I did the college fund and the GI Bill. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, we don't know how long we're going to stay. I didn't plan to stay 20 plus years. It just, it just kind of happened. Yeah. You know, you get comfortable and you get that adrenaline and different things. But what I think you're seeing, and you had asked this. Yeah, so what, like what, what kept people in, what kept people out? Well, and that, this kind of goes back to our, our timeline. So we talked in early August. And how far were you? I was almost a year out, nine, ten months from being out. You got out of the Navy in July? Well, that's part of the story. Okay. So, so August of 21 is when we talked. That's when um, – Eric Stocklauser hooks us up and we have a, a great teams meeting and you just kind of tell me what the business is about, what your mission is, uh, kind of how the team's composed. And I'm like, okay. And you're like, yeah, we're, we're doing uh, DCAC. Why don't you come down? I'll comp your, you know, your conference ticket, um, you know, and see what it's about. You know, these are some of the biggest thought leaders in the industry. And I remember thinking, okay, but this was this was COVID too because March of 2020, the Navy, the My Navy HR, 
they were like, hey, take your computer, go home. You're going to be home for a couple weeks until this COVID stuff settles down. So March of 2020, I go work from home. And I never went back. I worked from home until the time I retired. I mean, I, I spent a little bit more time on base the last two or three months while I was training my relief. But the rest of that time, I was Useful teleworking. Yep. I detailed from home. All I needed was a computer and a telephone to talk to sailors all over the world. So why did I need to be in a cubicle farm? I think that really helped me get comfortable with dispersed work, right, remote work, because I, I did it in the Navy. But shortly after we had that conversation and before I got to DCAC 2021, the horrible withdrawal in Afghanistan happens. And we watch that unfold real time, live on TV. We watch people so desperate to leave the country that they grab on to a C-17 aircraft and, and think that they're gonna hold on to that out of the country and they just fall to their death. Um, and it's just disorganized chaos, right? And so we see it unfolding and those of us in certain circles were like, okay, this is not good. Like, if we get out of this unscathed, we're never going to be unscathed because of, you know, all the repercussions down the line, the third and fourth order effects. But, I mean, if we can just get to the end of the month, maybe, maybe we'll be okay. And then Abbey Gate happens. And we lose those 13 Marines and, you know, a couple of sailors. And uh, I, I remember you had set up a table for those 13. We had, a, we had a table that we had 13 beers poured on. And that was the first thing you saw when you walked into the conference. Yep, and I, I was like, okay. Kirk walks the walk. He... He is serious about veterans because that had just happened. And I was like, I he had to change it to put that in. But that was, you know, kind of how I went into DCAC. I came in in my uniform because I was active duty. Um, that was the first time we met. Yep, in person. Yep. Yep. And I was probably running around like a chicken with my head cut off, so I don't know how much I was able to contribute at that point. Cause but you have an awesome team. That team is who put that the thirteen beers on that table yeah. was not the Kirkofell show, right? Oh, absolutely not. An it's it's team. a team thing. Yeah, I've great you know, people. And one of the best things about working with the team is that we're collaborative. If we have an idea, we, we discuss it. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, and then, you know, we figure out who's gonna execute it. But getting back to that time, um, the actual day of the conference, because it's a two day conference, right? Um, golf and then the actual learning piece of it and the industry leaders well, so the I golf was a charity event yeah for, it was like four but, season fighters I think. but I didn't know yeah you know and I'm not I'm a horrible golfer so I, I like, don't know I'm, I'm not golfing but um, so I walk in see that I'm like okay this is probably gonna be okay but I had a lot of anxiety because I hadn't traveled for a guy that's traveled the world for 15 16 years to completely shut him down and like we were on serious restriction during COVID in the military. At, M at MPC. Like we couldn't leave like a 25, 50 mile radius for a long time. 
mm. couldn't go get haircuts, you know. Um, they totally relaxed the grooming standards, you know, because what did it matter? You're working at home in your, yeah. you know, flip-flops and, you know, comfy pants. Sure. Um, so I had a lot of anxiety traveling that first time going to DCAC. What did you expect? Because I don't know what I told you. I was like, come. Like, I, I have come a, and see what this industry is about. That's the only thing I said. That, that's a, that's all you said, and I was like, okay, I'm in. So I go and I sit through the panels, and I remember Dean was the keynote speaker. Dean Nelson crushed it. His presentation was phenomenal, and it just that whole panel of speakers. I had Joe Cava from Google, and I had Peter Gross. Mm -hmm. I, it was all three. Oh well, Dean did his own, but then I had a panel with those three as well. Right, and. I sat through all the panels um, because I didn't really know anybody and uh, yeah, I'm in uniform, you know, sure people approached me and I had conversations, but you know, I'm not super networking at that point. I'm just here to learn about what is the data center industry? Cause I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a pretty savvy guy. Like I know there are data centers out there, you know, kind of basically at that point I knew how the internet works Yeah, and I'm like, okay, let me go see what this is about. But I had no idea what was involved until I watched all those panels back to back to back and I'm like wow there is opportunity here this is the fourth industrial revolution yeah. of the world and it's it's about changing people's lives and nobody that's listening to this podcast could say that they would back in 95 or 2000, or even last year, predict where technology has gone. I mean, AI and machine learning, I mean, quantum computing. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of emerging technologies that are um, uh, soon going to be in the hands of consumers, and when that happens, not only will that adoption rate of those technologies skyrocket based on the economics, right? There's a price equilibrium for everything. But once that happens, we will be creating so much data that it'll just have a massive strain on the data center industry again. Right. And I think uh, there was a conference, the, the conference before that, so we didn't do 2020 because of COVID, 2019, we did one. And, and I had a lady from uh, Switch Data Centers. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's like the chief technology officer, uh, whatever she is, she's a powerhouse. Her name's Missy. And Missy had this PowerPoint presentation, really, it's exceptional. I keep it, uh, I have it, I haven't shared it because it's her IP, you know, but right. it covers what the fourth industrial revolution will really look like. And it, it's better to see those graphics than to try to, you'll never be able to explain right. it without an image. And that's, that's what was so awesome about DCAC and what I tell all the veterans I talk to that we have come, I'm like, sit through the panels. Oh yeah. You you will basically be delivered an associate's degree in data center technology in one day. And it's exhausting. I, there's no doubt about it. It is so much information. Mm -hmm. um, that was one thing interesting this year as we were you know, finishing up and um, everybody's kind of mingling and networking and talking about the conference. Um, the Overwatch team is running around, you know, taking care of stuff. But I could hear those conversations like, wow, that was a lot of information. That was a lot of stuff we just absorbed in the past couple days between the networking and then just 
those thought leaders talking about the next phases of the evolution and then, you know, trends. And it's such a collaborative event because we're all working towards the same goal, you know, to deliver this technology to better the world. And so DCAC 2021, that's how I felt. That was your first one, man. That was my first one. And so at the end of the conference, I called my wife. I called her and I said, babe, I'm, I'm going to put my papers in. So um, you weren't sure if you were going to retire until then. So you said no. you were in a dark place before you came to DCAC. I don't think I really knew that, right? Yep. Well, because so it's a lot of stress about transition. And, you know, we have a four-year-old daughter and... COVID's going on, COVID's you have a four-year-old daughter, you're getting up to your retirement, yep. and your your platform that you're trained on is is transitioning away. There's a sunset initiative on that yep. pro- platform, and, and, something and that your I, options in the Navy are becoming more limited. Right, but the other thing is, I stayed the whole Afghan war, the entire thing. Like I said, I came in November 7th, 2001. You were in the whole time, yeah. August 31st of 2021 was the official withdrawal. That's when the last boots left the ground. And so I was like, what did we just do for 20 years? I was like, we were over there fighting to free the people of Afghanistan. And now we've just abandoned them. We've just abandoned our partners. We just let the Taliban run in and take over the country. They, they took over the capital. Like, the capital was a unique place. After 20 years of partnership with the United States, there were women going to school. There were girls going to school. They, they had opportunity like they'd never had before, you know? And we just, we just left. Well, we left $80 billion worth of equipment. Not only that, but, I mean, the infrastructure that was built in that country. It's bananas. People, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. But someone whose whole career was dedicated to only that initiative, you know, you started right after September 11th and you got out after the withdrawal. So when your entire mindset throughout your entire adult career is focused on achieving success at this, and that happens... It was extremely demoralizing. Oh, absolutely. Right, so I could because see. Because there was no reason to remove all the all the troops. There was none. Uh, like, we Political. could have left a it contingent of five to 10,000 people to hold our section of Bagram and been able to help continue to train the Afghan military to keep Kabul and other provinces safe. But, I mean, so it happened, and that was my decision point. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I can see how that's a low point, but hopefully DCAC created a spark in you that seemed like it looked like there was a really hopeful new chapter for you with a new opportunity to have a new mission or a new purpose. Right. Well, and we had, we had talked um, after DCAC, you, me, and Anthony. So let's get into that good stuff because – I remember vividly one conversation I had with you. So why don't you go first? Okay. So you started taking it serious. That's when I think after DCAC, <coughs> something went on in your head. Oh, yeah. I was and like, you started leaning in. I was like, okay, 
if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to dive right in. So what, what did you do? I mean, we did a hybrid thing for you because we, mm-hmm. we wanted to, we weren't sure if we were the right home for you or if we needed to go find you a right home. Well, let's, let's talk about the logistics of it. My last enlistment was in Florida and I had done a four year enlistment to take me through my orders and have a little bit of time on the back end. I knew how to adjust that time so that they couldn't force me to go somewhere else mm-hmm. after Millington. Um, but my ID card time was till April of 23. And so that conversation with you and Anthony was, we're getting ready to do this veteran initiative and we wanna help as many veterans as we can and we want you to come onto the team and help do that. And I was like, well, I don't officially retire till April of 23. And it was one of those, you know, no sugar-coated conversations that we often have. You're like, hey, can you, can you get out sooner? And I was like, yeah, I could, I could request my PRD, my projected rotation date as my retirement, and that would get me out June of 22. And you're like, let's okay, do it. let's do it. And I'm like, okay, well, how's that look? And that's when we came up with this plan. Like, okay, you, you're going to contract. We're going to support you. I started my own LLC, um, did a contract with you guys. It was like, here's an hourly rate, and I still have to do my Navy job. And I went to my Navy bosses and was like, hey, can I do this? On the side, can I my do free this time. Yeah, because you always have to ask, right? Yeah. You have to get permission to moonlight or you yeah. know, take a second job, keep your chain of command informed, right? So they're like, yeah. You know, as long as it doesn't interfere with your Navy work. And it goes back to, like, what I told you I've always done. I've always built a good foundation. Mm-hmm. So at that point, once you have a good foundation, you can actually lay off the throttle a little bit because you've got process in place that are automatic, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was able to initially come on and support the veteran initiative for, like, 10 to 15 hours then as Anthony and I started working and figuring out what worked and what didn't, it went to 20 hours. And then we had Diego, and so he was doing the same thing. And so we're just kind of learning to gel as a unit and what works and what doesn't. And the timing for that, let me just pause you, was, could not have been better. Because Diego is a young man that I coached in youth wrestling at a young age, right? And his dad, uh, mom works for Dell, dad's a doctor, very smart family. And uh, his little sister was at A&M, mm-hmm. who's now on our marketing team, and, mm-hmm. and she was going to school because she wanted to be a vet, right? And I knew Diego because I coached him as an athlete. So right. I, I coached him into his first triathlon. He did an long-distance triathlon in high school, and I would take these kids trail running with me. And I, I just, whatever I was doing, I always had, like, other young men that were always trying to be in orbit around that stuff, and they yep. wanted to, to do those things. And <laughs> Diego g- was just graduating, I think, from UTSA, and he's – right now trying to get into the aviation community in the army he wants mm-hmm. to go be like a blackhawk pilot or yep, something right warrant so officer pilot yep wants to go to the warrant officer program and i think that's amazing and we can't be more excited but every young man at that age needs a chief right and it's your dad who's the chief and that's going to be friction you need a chief i mean whether they're in the navy called a chief but you need that presence the chief's presence is the uncomfortable it's the hard love you know what i'm saying like no one will ever push you or challenge you or love you more than that chief type of thing. That's what I had, right? It's a mentorship It's a mentorship, and Diego needed that. Yeah. And, and I was like, thank God you're here. Cause well, and I needed it too. 
keep coaching I, men or young I, men. Yeah, I need to offload the things I've learned over my lifetime. Like, I can't take that stuff with me. I either have to write it down or impart it to somebody else. Yeah. And I love coaching, Im- imparting knowledge and pathways to well, that's something that other chiefs, people. But that's what makes chiefs chiefs. They have to love that. They have to have the empathy for it. They have to have the, you know, the grace and the discipline to do it. Something, you know, all those things I probably don't have enough of, mm-hmm. right? But we all needed someone like that. Men and women between those ages of 18 and 22, um, when left to themselves to think about the best ideas, sometimes will fail miserably, and they need someone who they can trust who can challenge them and push them in a way in which they don't feel like they're being attacked. Absolutely. Right? And that's what you're exceptional at. That's what Nathan on my team, he's our master chief. Right. He's a civilian. But that, that if Nathan... Daily was ever in the Navy. He would have been the Mick Pond. You know, I feel like that because. Man, I would. Uh, oh, he's. I would old. have loved to serve with Nathan Daly, the sailor. Nathan, How awesome would that have been? You want to know what's crazy is I was conditioned to where, like, when you saw Master Chiefs and Senior Chiefs and Chiefs, you were like, sometimes I'll just cross the road on the other side because I'm like, I don't want to be in there. Right, region. right, right. But Nathan makes me feel like that still. And. And. I work for him. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. so if Nathan doesn't approve of something I'm going to do, best believe that redneck is going to reprimand me in a way that has the perfect balance of friction yep. and empathy. You right. know, yep. who finds those things? I don't know, but I'll tell you, like, that's what Diego needed. So when you came to the Spark program, like you said, we were just like, hey, just do something. You know, like here, contribute it, as limited as you can. Don't compromise what you're doing we for only the Navy. Had a, we only had a couple of clients at that point. Yeah. Right. It was perfect because we really were just learning that program. We knew that we needed to do more to help the veterans. We just didn't know how. So we were just throwing ideas on the whiteboard right. and then putting humans in there that were creative enough. They were they were disciplined enough to put the work into really breaking it down into something that would be the most meaningful value to the veteran community first while solving the existential threat of the data center industry which is how do we find more people that are going to be capable of coming into this industry to provide professional services and labor in a way that's meaningful that could bring an immediate impact and you have to put them in a position where they could effectively drive change and if they could do that they could lift the average up the overall total strength of whatever the team is which affects the bottom line and we were trying to – I mean, I would even tell you that we haven't. I mean, the soup's not done cooking yet. Oh, no. And, and Spark is one still in its infancy. One of the things is you oftentimes learn best by making mistakes. And we made a ton of mistakes. I personally made a ton of mistakes just with my assumptions that things would run in the corporate world similar to it runs in the military. And that, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. You know, but we we also have a lot of the same pain points between the military and civilian corporations, you know, civilian businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime you're with a smaller unit in the military, yeah, things run a little chaotic, but you're a tight-knit unit, right? And everybody knows their piece of the pie. When you start getting into bigger circles of the Navy or the military, bigger things like the Pentagon, you know, obviously that's that's huge, but um, bigger units, it's more difficult to manage that stuff. And we found the same to be true in the corporate world. Like 
smaller companies are easier to work with because they have a smaller HR footprint. The bigger companies, you know, that are dispersed, they have an HR department that's dispersed that each person, you know, you really have to have buy-in from and you really have to have good communication with them. But, you know, you allowed me to make a ton of mistakes and learn from it and just keep moving forward. Yeah, right. Sure. That's that's the goal. Just keep moving forward. So there was no hopefully no pressure. You're, I'm like, we don't know what's going to work and what's not. So I only put pressure on myself. Right. I, I pressure myself to to be the best that I can possibly be. And, you know, it's something that you've identified this trip. You're like, you need to work on your thought cycles. And I really do, because there's a lot of things that I worry about that are existential. Um, you know, and I just need to comp- go back to compartmentalizing a little bit m- more and a little bit better. Let me say this. Uh, when I first got in the military, I was extremely abrasive, right? And it's because I came from what, you know, a high speed, yeah. low drag command yeah. that everyone operated at a pretty high altitude in their speed and everyone was good at what they did because if you weren't, then you were not in that community, right? And, and I'm sitting around with people that um, are more tolerant of levels of mediocrity than I ever felt comfortable with and I'd engage with them and be like, we need to do more faster, blah, blah, blah. And I realized that, you know, the way that I engage with people coming out of the military is abrasive. People that are not used to that are, um, they view it as uh, counterproductive. And it's not that they don't share your concern, passion, or urgency, they just don't recognize it in the same way, right? Mm -hmm. The military is just a volatile environment that is operating at a higher level of emotion all the time, and we are more comfortable in those stages of emotion than others. And those that aren't, when we engage with them in that me- that level of emotion, it could be unsettling. And it took me two or three jobs to figure that out to where people liked me and I was able to contribute, but I was like, maybe sometimes the juice wasn't worth the squeeze because I'm a lot, right? And I'd be mm-hmm. trying to define, we need to be operating up here. And they're like, guys, we're not going to be there tomorrow. It's going to take incremental time. And I'm like, but we could be there faster than we're doing now. Right. And you have to find that community that has the mindset that's similar to those. And ultimately, I realized that I would have to just create one for myself, right? And for you, I was like, you're going to get to the point where, and that's my job is your guys' um facilitator is to make sure that you're taking the time to take okay the best part about a a veteran is you'll never once hear them say that's not my job Mm -hmm. they'll come in early stay late and take on the hardest job the worst part about a veteran is you'll never hear them say that's not my job yeah and what that means is is they're going to overcommit themselves they'll take on anything and they'll do it to the extent in which they'll drive themselves into the ground and i can't have that either right so we have to find that balance and well and and i think we are as as we're scaling you know, we're able to add new team members and grow them like yeah. Keon, you know, exceptional, yeah. uh, an exceptional human being. Um, the thing about Keon is he stuck with us. He, he knew that there was something here and we didn't, we didn't have a home for him, but we just kept up conversation. You know, what's going on with you? Well, I'm still going to school, you know. Everything's good. Still looking to find a job. You know, you got anything? We tried a couple different clients. We tried a couple different things, um, but we just kept after it. And then when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, Anthony, we need to bring Keon on. I was like, I'll train him. We'll work with Diego. And, and then, you know, we also had Gonzo come on at the same Gonzo's time. Gonzo's like a powerhouse, right? Oh, He's a whole other monster, right? Daniel Gonzalez is awesome. 
awesome. infantry guy, yep. combat tested, you know, was a re recruiter in the military. Yep. We got him. He was a recruiter for veterans working for a general contractor, yeah. I think, and was placing contractors throughout the trades. And, yep. and But he was really focused on veterans, and it was just a natural fit. He served in theater with Anthony, and they were in the same platoon, I yep, think. they were in Hawaii together. But we just started collecting, and um, I think that that's what you needed is you needed someone that, they, they didn't have to see what it was, but they had to discover what it was capable of. Mm -hmm. And we were getting people to buy in on that potential, I think. Right. And it's difficult to explain that um, because we're growing. We were, Overwatch was adding, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but we we're adding at least, you know, I think it was eight people on average per quarter. Uh, and we're growing, you know, faster than that now. And, and that doesn't include some of the, uh, uh, I mean, you guys during, you know, uh, Anchors of Hope, you know, between the 70th anniversary of D-Day, June 6th, and Patriots Day, September 11th, you know, more than 30 veterans, 30 to 35 veterans would, in, yeah, we placed a majority, uh, a larger percentage of those went to Data Bank, which Data is- Data Bank, oh, what an awesome relationship that is. Just an incredible company, and, and they, they want to help the veteran community, and they see the value that veterans bring to their operational team, and I think that their clients see that too, and- it helps contribute to their culture, and I'm, we're lucky that you find companies that get it already, but there's some that we have to continue to go out and mentor and train and teach to. But right. let me, let me I, feel, I feel like I, I owe it to people to understand like the mindset of a chief. But we, before you even came on, we had multiple conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And you were helping us on a temporary basis. It was a s moonlight program on the side that yep. kept you busy so that you were keeping your toe in the water, so to speak, with our industry to yep. stay in orbit. Because at that point still, we were like, hey, if we can't find something for you here that you're going to find passion in and that you would be good at, because we want to not just hire good people, but we it's our duty to make sure that they can be successful. So why would I hire you and put you in a role in which you couldn't? Right. And we just didn't want to make those commitments. And we were moving so fast that, you know, I think there was something that was owed to you. I probably made a commitment to you of some kind, like, hey, I'll get it to you uh, by, you know, next Friday of next week or some shit. And I think I missed that deadline. Well, I mean, I'm positive I did because I was actually doing a uh, podcast that Friday with Chris Crosby here, mm -hmm. and then I left and I bolted and went straight to like, I think like it was the Snoop Dogg concert with like Easy E or, or whoever right. it is, you know. I forget, and it was all the NWA guys and JT and I took our families to that, and I'm standing at one of those little food trucks trying to get like a cheese cheeseburger or something. My phone rings from you. It's 6:30 on a Friday night, and you're railing me. You I don't, fucking I don't, told me. I don't call very often. <laughs> I don't like, call very hey, often. not for nothing, but you said I'd have this by this date, and I don't have it today, and that's, you know, that's not acceptable and all of these things. And yeah. I sat there, and I, I didn't. What do I do when you guys yell at me? I just go, hey, man, I'm very sorry. Like, I get yelled at more than anybody, right? And it's okay because I, you know, I put pressure on people, but sure. I'm okay getting yelled at. I yeah. get yelled at all the time. So I remember you were up in my ass, and I was like, I remember hanging up, beer in one hand. I had a beer in my shoulder, a cheeseburger. And I'm like, Anthony, get an offer out to Jesse immediately or he's going to murder us. Click. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's how you – I mean, but it was like – but I knew it. I mean, I, I, you said it. You're like, Kirk, for me, I'm like, it's already done. I mean, I, if a document's not done, it doesn't – I mean, yeah. you're, you're hired. In my mind, it was already done. You right, were already right, hired. Right. You were coming over. You didn't have the official offer in hand is what it was. And you, I don't know if it was you or if it was your missus, but irregardless – we owed it to you, and well, you needed it. And what you did is you just brought it back to the transition piece, the stress piece, yeah. right? So as I'm contracting, you the goal out. is have full-time employment, right? Like, so 
Anthony, you know, on his podcast that he did just recently, he talked about like we we grew our own skills bridge program. That that's kind of what we did. Yeah. Um, but always the goal at the end of a skills bridge, which is a full time placement, is a full time placement. And unfortunately, there are some companies out there that are taking advantage of skills bridge programs right now. Um, and and what I mean by just that, getting free labor and then dropping them, not hiring them. Right. Right. So I would. If you're a veteran listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to network early. LinkedIn is an essential thing. Uh, reach out to somebody that's been through transition within the past 24 months. Have put your what's your email address? Let them reach out to you. Absolutely, absolutely. It's J Kendrick K E N D R I C K at weareoverwatch.com. Or just find you on LinkedIn, create a profile, LinkedIn. find you on LinkedIn, and you could help them get a better LinkedIn if they have to. Absolutely, I do LinkedIn profile reviews, I do resume reviews. Yeah, um, but you're helping set these people up so that they can start talking. They don't have to be for us, we'll right. help set them up for anybody. Oh yeah, I just want you to feel that you have somebody that's there for you. And, and so that's what it was, is there's a lot of uncertainty, right? After you've served 20 years, you're broken in a lot of regards, physically, mentally. Um, and those of us that lean towards the tip of the spear, um, you know, Timmy's the same way. Like, you have, to, you have to go out underway or you have to go out and deploy. You have to pass your flight physical. You have to pass your sub-physical. Um, so you just, you can't be broken. You just don't allow yourself to be. You just, you, you power through it, mm -hmm. right? You power through all those injuries to get the mission done. But at some point, you have to start taking care of yourself. 100%. And I've had awesome mentors along the way that were like, hey. Before you get out. You before you get out, here's what you need to do. You start getting all those things taken care of and documented. It doesn't matter if they DFC you or, you know, pull your flight physical. You've done your time. Now it's time to get back to being healthy, to prepare for your transition back into the civilian world. And the best people to help in that transition are people that have transitioned, right? And that's why I do think there's some gaps there that we have yet to discover, but there'll be opportunities and areas that we could help solve for those either directly ourselves or by bringing in other groups that can contribute. You know, we're creating better relationships with like the Flounders Fields and C4 Foundation. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, one tribe, you know, right. groups that are dealing with other things, but there are groups that we could all partner with. And like Flandersfield is a perfect group, is a, a 501c3 nonprofit that is literally going into the bowels of these cities and finding. Well, they're right by me. They're, they're in Memphis. But they're doing amazing work to help uh, veterans that are struggling with substance abuse and yeah. homelessness. And. I think that there will ultimately, if you look at what Salute Mission Critical did for this space, and those guys have done amazing work too, it started with, you know, Jason and Lee and those guys were uh, really focused on and getting homeless veterans off of the streets and giving them a job. Mm -hmm. it, you know, 15 bucks an hour, day laborers, we were giving them brooms and having them clean up construction sites. And we were, we were making phone calls to every GC and every data center operator we could and being like, if you can, hire day laborers from this group. Mm -hmm. And then what happens to those guys when they, you know, come off the streets and are no longer homeless, now they have uh, a job, they, you know, have something to be proud of, and now 
were trying to give them an opportunity to grow and salute was getting them more into the data centers bringing in to operations or smart hand services mm -hmm. or even security physical security right. and and that's what salutes was doing man and they uh, bless them because we play on the completely opposite side of the ball of salutes lose inside the data center and we're typically everything outside of it you know building mm -hmm. it and delivering it and and making sure it's ready for someone else to mm -hmm. take the keys and drive so it was a great partnership and those guys were really focused hard on on just starting from somewhere but you have to they evolved as a business because those those homeless guys were evolving as a business and and they needed something more they hit a plateau and they needed another opportunity to be challenged so they could reach another level that would gain more confidence mm -hmm. in themselves and uh, you know ultimately maybe give them a few more dollars which gave them more security you know in life right but the flanders uh fields ones are ones that are going to start you know at a rock bottom level below that and and then right. when they are you know there's nothing more dangerous than a person that has been broken mm -hmm. a person that has hit rock bottom and has the scars and the, the calluses and the you know they they have um, they have been pressure tested to where now they know um, they're really more focused on themselves if they come through that dark period of their life and with that the chip on their shoulder and the amount of grit they have if you could weaponize it well enough it will give them an advantage professionally so if we could partner with those groups in the future and be like yep. okay once you've re rehabilitated these people and now they're clean they're stable they're ready to be contributors to society again when they're through that phase give them to us send them our mm -hmm. way and we'll go give them a, another job and right it could be something at 15 bucks an hour but it could be something at 25 bucks an hour 30 bucks an hour yep. and then from there we are partnering with, with companies like rosen ies data bank you know eci you name it and mm -hmm. and those are the groups that are gonna be like okay we'll take them from here right now they're gonna be on here we'll start them here and they'll become a level two and then a level three and then a supervise you know does that make sense absolutely but i mean we've also had discussions about you know my grandiose plans. You know? I want to hear about it. Talk about it. Let people know what Overwatch the... Infrastructure Academy, right? So what that's, is that? that's something Anthony and I and you have talked about and that we're slowly building that good foundation for, right? It's it's a trade school for data centers. It's yeah. you know, let's learn about data centers and all the different pipelines that go in there, the GC, the MEP, the design. You know, all um, the equipment manufacturers, Oh, all the vendors. Absolutely. Low voltage structure, cabling, containment, distribution, yeah. you know, all those things. They have to learn it. Be, well, because I didn't know what I didn't know when I when I came to DCAC. But since then, I've immersed myself in the data center industry in all aspects of it. You you know that you see mm -hmm. some of the stuff I do and you're yeah, like, you're, you know, where'd that come from? Well, you're you're I spent a lot of time reading, you know, the Interglobics magazines mm -hmm. and, you know, all the things on data center frontier and knowledge, I think. I think the guys at Data Center Hawk do a pretty great job too. Dave Leggett and those guys have really carved out a really strong niche of value in what we do mm -hmm. because they are canvassing. They're the probably the most up to speed on things at all times, in my opinion. You know, groups like that because mm -hmm. they're they're getting data points from everywhere, and and I think that if we could be in uh, you know in orbit with them and and this Overwatch Academy that you guys are this is your guys idea not mine but I do believe that it's taking a page out of the playbook of what the trades do in terms of starting with an apprenticeship and a journeyman and a master that's and right we have two apprentices right yep. now and and um well you know one's Dakota not a not a veteran at all right nope, just out of college he actually is from Durango which is where I recruited and that's how we kind of initially um 
you know, start our conversation. He was a referral from David yep. at DCAC. He was like, hey, I talked to this guy. He's he's motivated. Yeah, I'm, he's he, got some he's got some good potential. I don't know where he fits. We in, hired Dakota for one reason, right? Dakota uh, wanted a role that I already filled, and he wasn't interested in some of the ones that we could have easily put him into. And that was no problem. And then he just every week would text me, mm-hmm. "Hey, let me know if anything changes. Just want to touch base every week." Yep. And I think that if you know me well enough, the thing that you'll find is that experience leans almost nothing to me as much as grit and persistence relentlessness relentlessness is a great word for he's that. relentless dakota was Absolutely. relentless and i just remember going to the leadership team going i'm not sure we're going to do with him yet but i know that he's a, a human being that we need yep and there's not anything that we haven't asked that kid to do so far that he hasn't been willing to do but i said why don't you start and spend 30 days with anthony on the spark team mm-hmm. and then we'll pass you off to scotty and that's a whole another yep. business unit and i'll pass you off to and whoever. you can learn all those different parts of the industry the finance side yeah the recruiting talent acquisition business development tenant fit out owner's design rep. Yeah. owner's rep pm he gets to learn all, all of things. it and then once all he, of it once he figures out what he wants to do then yep. we'll we'll settle on that and then we'll put all that wood behind the arrow on all, only on that one thing he has the personality and he's just he's um you can tell that he's a very smart kid mm-hmm. and he asks a lot of questions which is you know he he started off by hey i'm gonna ask you a dumb question i'm like hey look there is no dumb questions here unless kirk's asking well i mean <laughs> yeah he has right. some questions that are a little off the wall sometimes <laughs> that kirk guy but i'm like there's no dumb questions and i'm like this is a relationship this is a mentorship partnership you're part of the team like I want your ideas. Like some of the stuff that he's done has been strictly him. Like he'll ask me for a little bit of input. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? But those trifolds he designed for the Spark team. Yeah. I mean, just fantastic. But what I'm saying is that's what the industry needs. Not experience. They need people that are driven from the inside out, right? Purpose and mission. So I agree with that too, right? And I think that he bought into our purpose and our mission, not understanding it, but he he wanted to be a part of it, and he's learning more about it. And you know, we drug his ass through the DCAC conference, and he had to it was a good experience, low crawl through everything as well. And now he understands a little bit more about the industry. That's why we flew in more than thirty of our Overwatchers just mm-hmm. to. I'm like, look, learn. I want you all learning. I even sent a text out. I'm like, I want all the Overwatchers sitting in you know some of the front rows, right. listening to what's on stage. What people forget about conferences is it's more than just networking. That is absolutely important, and we, we put a heavy emphasis on it, what I call extreme networking. Yes. That's I why w- when everyone leaves DCAC, what normally happens is everyone has to shut off their body for a couple of days because yeah. they're standing for 18 hours, uh, you know, maybe overeating, overdrinking, or undereating, underdrinking, undersleeping. Yeah, a combination of all that. Because everybody's there, like I can sleep anytime I want, but I can't always talk to these people or I can't mm-hmm. introduce myself to these people. And and I think that it, not a lot of people like going to these conferences anymore to learn, they're just there to network. And I'm like, look, I, I value the, the power and the critical importance of networking, but I also need to learn. Absolutely, so, that, I mean, that's why, you know, I think the first panel had Peter and um, I can't remember. Mark Teal. Mark Teal. He's a savage too. Yes. Yeah. Well, I missed part of Mark's discussion because I was running around sure. doing interviews with people like Chris Crosby. You should. And, you know. That's good. Um, 
but I, I remember sitting there again because Peter was there last year, and I'm just like, these are the trends that are going to be coming down in the next three to five years. I mean, hydrogen capability, like energy is what makes a data center work. That was if, the trend. If you can't get power to your data center, there's you're no dead metaverse. in the water. There's no, there's no metaverse, there's no data center, there's no nothing. That was it, the theme, right? Is the future is the metaver metaverse and how do we get there? And we need shit tons of power which and shit tons of data center capability and, mm -hmm. and you know what Mark was talking about. He's like, look, we can't let supply chain slow production, and you know, then go find another s design solution for it. Then, mm -hmm. if you can't get gens for two years, then find a solution without gens. But we can't not produce more compute capacity, right? And and have a house that's capable of making it bulletproof. So, there was extremely important, relevant conversations taking place there because, right the people that can solve for those problems were the vendors that are sponsors to DCAC and they're sitting right there and they're listening. Yep. And they're that listening. Way, and that's why we put most of the sponsors right there in orbit with them. So mm -hmm. they could be like, okay, well we thought we were making the greatest idea, but it turns out that they're shifting another direction. Let's pivot as a business right. so we could help provide more opportunity yep. or get more than their fair share of the opportunity, but while having the ability to position themselves to have the greater impact more meaningful impact on the industry, right? So mm -hmm. if they're listening, they're gonna be able to do that. Those groups that weren't listening are the ones that are just there to network. And you know what, that's fine too. Sure. But but I mean, when you, can, when you can be proactive as opposed to reactive to these trends, that's the businesses that win. That's the businesses that win that can take that information and leverage it to say, okay, this is how we need to pivot. The regulations that are coming down are coming down a lot sooner than anybody thought. You know, that was one of the points of discussion yeah, for one of the panels. So, you know, when you pull power from a data center because of, you know, extreme climate change related issues, heat issues, rolling blackouts, and you're like, hey, I got to take some power back from your data center. Who's going to be prepared for that? Yeah, it's crazy. The people that have the ability to to persevere 10 years, 15, well, be agile, 20 years down flexible. the road. Yeah. Be agile and flexible. And Send for Gumby. Yeah, you can't be committed to a sacred cow and what you're doing on your design. You gotta have a plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah, and you need partners. You need people that are ready to pivot with you because no matter what, you can't do it on your own. So I do think you know bringing these people into the conference and, and creating the Overwatch Academy and you know the second uh, data center apprentice we have is Jeremy. And he's, mm -hmm. a, again, not a, he's not a veteran either, but he was a refugee that fled Liberia in the middle of the Civil War in fear of his life, mm -hmm. and is like, I'm in America with kids and you know my my wife, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he got himself through school, and you know he's doing anything he can to survive. Talk about a kid with grit and a chip on his shoulder. And remember, I sat down with him and I said, Hey, I don't know what it is. I can't help my, my community is the veterans, but this is the an African refugee that mm -hmm. uh, has experienced more in his life, you know, more violence and cruelty and horrible things that he's been exposed to that why can't we try to help him just because he doesn't fit the veteran profile? We can still change his life. And, you know, I'll work with infrastructure masons to, you know, maybe put him into one of those scholarship programs oh, absolutely. too. Absolutely. And I'm like, listen, Jeremy, I don't know what it is, but you'll be an apprentice and at the end of those six months, 
will make you capable of either working for us or going and getting a job in the, in the industry. And it's our own cost. I'll absorb that because I'll invest into that human. Even if there's no return on that human for me, I'm getting a return from knowing that we're contributing to that soul. To the greater good. Yeah. To the greater good, right? Yeah, because one day he may go work in this industry and be able to contribute in a massive way. And we helped build that because we invested in somebody that had – there's nothing. I don't, I don't get to bill him out. I won't make a return on him. But it'll make a change to his life. And if I can do that and then have this platform to showcase that change, mm -hmm. then those other people in the same situation that are refugees in America that come from Africa and have and been in horrible situations, they can take a page out of his playbook to be successful. Well, and, you know, it's six degrees of contact, right? I mean, think of all the people he's already talked to that he said, hey, I, I have this opportunity. I'm just – you know, learning a little bit every day, but you were willing to take a chance. Yeah. You know, I, I mean. Those guys work super hard. Like Dakota walks into the compound, first thing he does is check the trash, make sure the dishes are sorted, runs a pot of coffee. He's yeah. the last guy to leave, takes the trash. I mean, like, I don't tell him to do those things. Jeremy, yep. he's breaking down boxes in the garage. You know, he's he's nonstop, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I yeah. do? And, and honestly, the only way that we could manage all these people was we hired Tanya and Salmi, mm -hmm. two immigrants from South Africa, and these ladies are powerhouses. Absolutely. And these two ladies— Because your life was chaos. I was overwhelmed, <laughs> right? I like, I needed to schedule a meeting, but I couldn't, I couldn't get you to look at your calendar because you just didn't have the time. And yeah. so Salmi has come in, and, well, I mean, she facilitated this podcast today. Without a Salmi, yeah. I, I would be probably in therapy, right? And well, failing. You should be in therapy anyway. <laughs> that's a that's a whole nother podcast. I'm another therapy, I should say. Both my therapists now are not doing it. So, but Salmi and Tanya are bulldogs. They are lionesses, and they do not take shit from anybody. Me, anybody. Like, I remember sending a note to the leadership team and saying, "Hey guys, we're, you know Tanya's going to do this." And Tanya's response was, "Make no mistake, boys. I'm not here to clean up after a bunch of grown ass men." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Okay." But I expect nothing less. Right. You know, this is a person that we set our standards, and these are my expectations, and they're defined, and they're allowed to manage up just as well as they manage down. But we have those people that that are helping us be massively more productive because they're helping us supplement what I can't do or what Scotty or Stock or Jesse or Anthony or anybody else. And and they are – I don't even have to ask them for stuff. They just they just will see that there's a needs. need. And, and it could be with somebody else on the team, right? Yeah. That is one of the, I mean. They just, they jump in and rescue. Misfit them. toys. Yeah. I mean, we take care of each other, you know, whether it's through. something with your family. Um, you know, like my wife was not feeling well when I came out for this trip. And I told you about it. And boom, a couple days, I think it was the next day, there was flowers and chocolate with a, a nice personal note saying, hey, thank thank you for letting me have your husband for a couple of days. So Lisa, I could do. She was sick, right? Yeah. But I would. I mean, I want to do those things more, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. But now I could just call Salmi and be like, hey, can you make sure that Jesse's wife's okay? Because mm -hmm. I know that she's got to be under a lot of stress because she's sick. Your, your daughter's sick, and I'm asking you to do a DCAC. Right. right. So it's, it's hard, right, because we ask a lot from our team, but we have to take care of that team too. So it's the little things, right? Mm -hmm. It's it doesn't take much. Flowers cost nothing, right? It's 
it's just like know that we care about you know that we care about your husband we care about your family back home and we are like that with everybody right so the thing is is building that overwatch academy and watch necro should have a profound impact on the industry and oh i mean profound impact on the community of the veterans as well though oh the veteran community college graduates college graduates refugees underrepresented um groups i mean if if i were to walk on to any college campus today and start talking about the data center industry other unless it's in northern virginia you know what what's a college student gonna say when i say hey what do you know about data centers yeah, they're not going to know, but they they don't know that they touch 10 data centers a day just by what they're doing with their social media. Right. Know? So there's a good chance we've worked on one of those data centers they're touching. And I always tell people, I'm like, there's a good chance that today you touched a data center that I built or I was a part of building. Involved with in involved some with level. In some capacity. Right. And that's something that's pretty awesome because it's also, I've been in the industry long enough now where there's truth to that, right? There's mm-hmm. a likelihood of that. Um, but putting these people together to where they all buy into the mission. They all buy into the purpose. And what I'm learning from the DCAC Live Conference this year is that I think that the message that we're getting through now on this platform and the live conference is I think a lot of those sponsors and partners that we engage with and the people that come to those conferences are also getting it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, taking it back full circle to you, you know, you you were managing up very well and you're managing down and you're evolving you know you're learning now that you're a transitioning veteran you can't think and operate the same way you did when you were in the military right and that uh the optics that you view everything through now needs to be started over from scratch and and we recognize that in the leadership team to where now anthony's going to be spending more time with you to make sure like what are you doing for yourself today like mm-hmm. you know my my client you know we, i worked for a guy named andrew Schaff, and i don't know if you know him Mm-mm. Andrew Schaff is a um, savage, right? And I mean that in a good way. I I believe you. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that guy. One time Jim Smith referred to him as like the Cal Ripken of our industry because the guy just doesn't sit a game out. I mean, Golden Glove. The most competitive guy that you'll meet. And one of the greatest things I got to do was work for him because he holds a high standard, pushes the gun real hard. And like, listen, man, he wants to win. And Mm -hmm. And it pays to be a winner, and I want to win too, right? So I could respect his his push for that. And he taught me so much because he was taking over his role as CEO at Aligned Energy, and it was the first time that he was a CEO. Right. So I got to kind of watch him develop as a CEO. And, you know, you make mistakes. Fuck, I mean, the mistakes you make as a CEO have a more uh, – it could have a potentially harder impact on a business than – It's like w- being a CEO of a, of a ship yeah. or a – Aviation Command or a submarine. I mean, those decisions that you make as the CO, that involves your your boat and your crew, right? Yeah. Ultimate responsibility falls on the skipper. And so ultimate responsibility, unfortunately, oftentimes falls on the CEO. I mean, you've got a, a leadership team, you know, and they, they help make decisions, but at the end of the day, which yeah. way that rudder's going, yeah, is up to those CEOs. Yeah, and I, I mean, I used to call him Skipper all the time, and, and we'd have conversations. I'm like, there were times where things were being inefficient. I'm like, Shaft, if we ran submarines the way that this thing's going down, we'd have submarines littered all over the bottom of the ocean, right? right? And to his credit, he would be like, well, let's hear it. You know, what's, he, he was all about, he was constantly feeding me books and 
feeding himself books and he's one of the guys like remember how i dump a ton of books on mm-hmm. down your throat but he was one of the guys like kirk don't waste time you know moderate your diet or fix it to where you can be more healthy so you can be more productive change what you're putting into your ear holes so that you aren't wasting time but i was fortunate to work for those types of people that were constantly investing into helping me be better and one of the things that shaft did the most exceptional job for me on was he said kirk every day you need to know who your client is like some people's chair is facing out while others are facing in mm-hmm. to the building. And, you know, a good example is I make the leadership team all tell me who their client is all the time. So I'm like, who do you think my client is? You know, and I'm like, they are. My job is to build them, not to go out and do stuff. My job is to make them capable to go out and do those things. I'm transitioning sure. relationships over. I'm introducing them to people that I'm in orbit with. So I could go get in orbit with groups that are going to allow me to have a more meaningful impact on what our mission, our purpose is. So if I could partner with more, you know, CEOs of operators or more infrastructure mission groups or, you know, find collaborative partnerships with the salutes or something like that, then as a force multiplier, I could have a greater impact. No matter how good we can do, it's not as good as how we can do if I bring in, you know, Tony Grayson or if I bring in Lee, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, or I bring in all these other people that share our, our purpose and our mission but sit on a different part of the game. Yeah. But holistically, we could cover all the bases on the field. And if I can help spearhead some of that stuff by leveraging this platform, the live you know, uh, tech conference, and then the hiring conferences that are going to be introduced in 2023, my client, knowing who my client is, comes back to what I learned working for Shaft and, and Aligned, and it really made me laser-focused, which is now I'm like, like Nathan. Who's Nathan's client? Nathan's only customer. Our number one customer is our team. Mm-hmm. And the number one person who's responsible for managing that team is our master chief, our, our VP of the field, right? And Nathan's only job is to make sure that they get all the support they need, all the training they need. They're always learning and developing and growing. And, and we're trying to put a roadmap in front of everyone. Every 8 p.m. has a roadmap to get to a p.m. Every p.m. has a roadmap to get to a senior. And there's a senior p.m. right now that we're grooming to come in and, and backfill Nathan one mm-hmm. day, right? Because Nathan's got a scale, and that means i got to – Nathan's gonna backfill, you know, maybe a Jesse or, you know, and I'm, I got, I got, I got Anthony that I want to develop into a different role, which he's supposed to be developing someone to backfill him. Right. Just like in the military, it's all left seat, train right your seat. God train your relief. You are. That's left, how you build a team out. Left seat, right seat training is the minute that you're on 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 deck, you're teaching someone below you while learning from someone above you, and that's very traditional military. Mm-hmm. And corporate America does it, but sometimes it doesn't, and I'll tell you why. It's, Corporate America is a function of trying to create money and they have shareholders and there's a return on those things and they want to optimize the machine. So you're going to create a business and, you know, once it emerges, you're going to figure out a way to optimize that. And mm-hmm. once it's optimized, you're going to figure out a way to create a, you know, transparent, predictable financial, uh, you know, model around that for investors. And, and when you do that, it's a machine. And when the machine is working, you don't want to change that machine because, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? right? So we make changes when people fail, but we don't make changes when people are doing really well in that role because we don't want to take them out of something they're doing well and make that risk of that not optimized, mm-hmm. you know, working as well. So now, you know, we are stranding people in certain spots and we don't want to be that. We want it to be dynamic and we want them. If we can't find a role for them here, look at Abby. You know, oh, we yeah. start uh, the Overwatch Veteran and Transition Apprenticeship. Abby is one of our best poster children for that she's a damage controlman out of the coast guard who will tell you the fr- like the first time i met her she's like listen i need to tell you in advance i have anxiety and i'm like take a number girl we yep. all do you know and 
everybody does. She's you have to be a military. so passionate about what she does, though. Exactly. So passionate it's about inspiring. what she does. It's infectious. It, it is inspiring, and we need more women in this industry. She will help lead that. Absolutely. Because she is an advocate, and she's a very assertive leader, and she's not worried about asking anybody the, the uncomfortable question, and most people are. They, some people aren't trained and conditioned to feel well with confrontation because it could be viewed as a negative thing, where she views it as an opportunity for positive you know, growth. Not everybody looks at it like that. So I've enjoyed you know, watching her crush it. Yeah, and her testimonial, that, that will help other people with anxiety about getting into a new role or an APM role. Um, it'll just, it'll help overcome that. You know what I, what I got, I've, I've been beaten up a few times over the last month about the podcast or even the conference. I got pulled to the side a few times and rightfully so, but the people that are pulling me to the side and giving me an earful are mad that I don't have more females on the podcast. I haven't had one. Well, I'll mention that, but, and I don't have enough females on the stage. And I'm like, hey, in my defense, I ask every woman I can to be on this podcast or every woman to, to be on that stage, and a lot of them just don't want to at some points, and, and I get that too. I don't want to Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's an unknown, right? If you've never done a podcast or sat down and talked to somebody about stuff, but you make it very comfortable, you know? This is a, this is a very good spot. It is quiet. Um, there's no pressure. It's just a conversation, right? It should be organic and natural. So I would encourage you, if you're listening to the podcast and you're a female in the industry, take a chance. Take a chance and come out and, and sit down and talk with Kirk and, and share your perspective, your point of view. Um, it's a couple hours out of your day, but the benefits that the other listeners will have listening to you will be impactful. So thank you for saying that, but like that whole take a chance. So this is something I'm really excited about is I did my first podcast with a female um, this week. You know, when we had people here for DCAC, mm -hmm. I was able to lock and load more people. And I did Brittany of NTT. And if you don't know her, I don't know her either. Yep. I met her for the first time in that podcast. But I know NTT. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> yeah. one of the largest data center providers in the world. And yeah. she, her background from, you know, Intel and Microsoft, and now she's at NTT. She manages men and women, so she has to deal with those things. But she grew up in the trailers, you know, with all the things that take place. And she's been pressure tested. And she's like, look, man, she talks about her battles with anxiety and how it really rose to the challenge. And I, I asked the same question at the end. You know, what, what would you tell somebody? What's your advice to someone that's listening? And her advice was take the chance. Like, if you don't think you could do it, do it anyway. Sign up. Yep. Get yourself uncomfortable. Be brave. And then rise to the challenge. And I hope that her podcast will open the floodgate to where I can recruit more women to come onto this podcast and know that this is not an attack or an ambush. This is a conversation, and and I'm not trying to play stump the chump or try to catch them off. Or I really want them to share their story so that other women are like, okay, so I'm not alone, mm -hmm. and, and this is normal to feel like this, and we all go through it, and this is just a normal part of the process. And if you don't know that and you're left to your own thoughts, then sometimes you could just be like, Everything's the worst. It just yeah. manifests into something different, and it's negative sometimes. So, mm -hmm. hopefully, her podcast and it was an amazing podcast. I'm, I'm gonna have to bring her back on because there's a whole nother part of what we really stopped at what got her to where she's at at NTT. We didn't really talk about the NTT stuff and all, all the things that she's learning now. There. Oh and, yeah. And and she's someone that we want to hear from because she has a ma you know pretty major responsibility 
you know, if you're going to deploy a billion dollars of capital next year, that's a lot of pressure, right? So a lot of pressure. And you need a lot of people, men and women. And, mm -hmm. you know, you need to figure out a way to, to cut through all the bullshit in this space and find people that can help you, mm -hmm. right? And she did a great job. It was awesome. And I, I, I realized that I need to do a better job of trying to convince those people to come on here. But I need, of course, things about it in the syllabus, I need more people to, to do that as well. But knowing your clients, you know, and you guys have, your clients are, you know, the veterans and the data center operators and the, you know, all the mm -hmm. contractors and partners that we have that are hiring veterans. And, you know, we're picking up more momentum. And it's, oh, yeah. you're making change right now. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, being able to place veterans with our partner clients is incredible. We we placed a Afghan translator. Shut up. I with, didn't even know that. With databank. Did you really? Mm-hmm. And Talk about a life change for a guy like that. Yeah, and, and so he was kind of in data centers. He he came over about six years ago, um, and he was just a resume I came across, right, as I'm doing sourcing and, and searching, and I'm like, okay, let me, let me talk to this guy. And so I call him, and, you know, after being in those circles and, you know, working different things, you just you kind of get a good idea and you can ask the right questions. Hey, where were you at? Okay, who'd you work with? Which you groups over there? That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'll take it back full circle. He's got family that is still in Afghanistan, um, and that you know had helped U.S. forces there, and so Flanders Fields and groups like North Star, and we're still getting people out. It's, it's just not easy. Like, Department of State doesn't make it easy. Uh, there's really, you know, no government in Afghanistan, per se. Um, so, but all these groups are still working to get our partners out of Afghanistan. Um, SIV visas and all sorts of things, but they got to have passports, and it's a process. And a guy like Ben Owen at Flanders Fields, that guy. Awesome guy. Oh, Ben. I mean, just his passion just to help every single human being that he possibly can and the, and the team at Flanders and Robert and his Ben's wife, Jessica, just amazing people that just want to help humans, right? Because we're all floating around on this rock together. There's no disputing that. It's so special. It's inspiring working with people that care about other people so much. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that feeds us. You know, people are like, how do you – I love what I do, right? And I worked long hours in my last job. I work more hours now, and people are like, how are you not? And I'm like, I'm just not as stressed. I mean, it's work, but I love what I'm doing so much to where I'm fueled by the passion of the people. I'm inspired by the people I work with and who we work for. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel safe in the environment I work in where I know that there's no major threats from anything inside the business. And uh, I'm fulfilled by what I'm doing, and because I can do those things, I can go for 20 hours a day, right? I, mm -hmm. n I've never really been a person that needs a lot of sleep, but I'm going to be working on trying to get more of it because I understand the health features to it. So yeah. I just want to be healthier. So maybe it's a, I need it's a balance, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be cli cliche and say work-life balance because that's really not what it's about at this point. Because <sighs> I work from home, you work from home or the compound, so it's like. Do I work where I live or do I live where I work? Um, which which is it really? 
So it's, it's not about that type of balance for me. It's about, okay, how do I become most efficient? How do I structure my day to take care of myself, my family, the business, veterans? And so it's an always evolving thing, but it's, it's what I tell the team, right? Uh, Dakota, Diego, Dion, AG, all of us, we have these awesome meetings every week just to cage ourselves together and get, get our gel together. But I'm like, okay, here's some things that I do. I'm like, you don't have to do it this way. And that's why, like, I, I started a, a Sunday evening meeting to get myself lined up for the week. So I put a Teams meeting on just for people on the team and a few leadership team people if they want to hop on and just, you know, have a few minutes yeah. to chat about Trim stuff. Yeah, the trees before you start. Yeah, but I'm, I'm got that time set aside to get my schedule. Okay, let me verify my calendar. Let me make sure I'm caught up on emails or, you know, I'm going to draft these emails so they go out first thing Monday morning. I was, but you build in efficiencies into your own routine, and then you're like, okay, I need some family time. I need to spend some time with my daughter and yeah, my you have wife. Yeah, carve it out. Yeah. yeah, and but you can't stick to it if you don't plan for it. So that's what I've taken that Sunday for is to kind of just plan out the week. And does it always work? No. I mean, I've had all sorts of stuff go on recently that has just thrown that out the window. Um, but you. You do your best to but stick you have to a that. plan yeah i mean you have to do i do stuff like that too on sunday nights because i won't be able to sleep right sunday night and i need to be fully rested by monday mm -hmm. my mind doesn't cycle down that well so i have to i do need to make sure that i i spend the focus time not touching email with work because it's easy to uh stay it's addictive you know what it, i'm saying i mean you get that dopamine hit every mm -hmm. time you check your phone because We've got Slack, we've got email, you, you know, all the social media, you mm -hmm. know, LinkedIn is such an important thing for business. So um, just turn it off because it's going to be there. So like the, the genesis behind this podcast, you know, because I did a podcast with Tim Kearns and he was in year one of BCAC. Mm -hmm. And you were our beta, our beta test for that. You were the first one that we drug in. We had, you know, the guys. Um, well, Patrick was there too. So Patrick, Patrick came. Yeah. So Patrick is another guy. He was Army. I, he was E8, I want to say, and uh, he was a friend of uh, one of our one of our good friends that works at Yonder. Jennifer is awesome. I'm actually trying to get Jennifer to come on this podcast. She'd be fantastic at it, actually. But we, um, she, w she grew up in house. She, I think, dated his brother or something. Had and friend of the family or some right. shit. And she goes, "Hey, I have a friend." you know, who's coming in, I, and he's Army, he lives in Austin, can I give him a free ticket? I was like, send him my way. Yep. Anytime there's a veteran, I'm like, send him my way. And um, I rolled him right into the fold. Like, he went to my team dinner that night with mm -hmm. just my team, and right. he's like, what in the fuck is going on here? Yeah, <laughs> right? I know. But Patrick, We've talked about it. Oh, we, right. we, we stay pretty connected. He had to have been like, what is really going on here? And then um, we, you know, we introduced him to the guys at IES and stuff, and the rest is history He's there, the man. perfect fit. And then he brought in Kirkhoff, John Kirkhoff. Or, yep. and those Another two, Army guy. Yeah. And those two guys have been put into positions where they're going to be making a lot of – they're going to bring a lot of value. They're impactful. To IES, for sure. And and we met those guys. I mean, we had – well, you and Patrick and, and you were the ones that came to BCAC. And then – We retired at the same exact time. Went through the whole process together. He'd be a good one to have on the podcast down the road, too. 100%. And, but you guys were – you had your toes in the water – helping do things mm -hmm. while still on active duty oh, until yeah. the end of it. Yeah. And then when you rolled out, I mean, 
you guys retired. I mean, you retired the next day you were on payroll. I think literally you retired on a Friday, Saturday, you started. Yeah, right? uh, June 30th and then July 1st was so, my first full-time day. So, and, and he had something like that. They, I think they moved him back, right, to the But East we Coast. worked towards that. I yeah. mean, that didn't just fall into our laps. Like, we did a lot of work, both on the Overwatch side and then, you know, you had our sides personally. You know, yeah. there's a lot of things that had to happen. I mean, he moved from Texas to the East Coast. Now, I haven't had to relocate, but I had to change everything about my life. And then, of course, my my wife, awesome professional, you know, professional interior designer, commercial interior designer. And she was like, hey, you're retiring. I want to go back to work, you know, because we had our daughter. Thank goodness we had our daughter through COVID. Because you got to spend some time with her. It was the three of us in the house all day long. That's it was exciting, awesome. Man. Like, we're bonded as a family like you could not even imagine. That's awesome. Yeah. But she was like, I am not fulfilled. What fulfills <coughs> me is, you know, CAD and Revit and all the design programs she used. She loves that stuff. Loves it and kills it. We'll learn a program in, like, six weeks and just she's on projects cool she could read she could redesign our new compound when we do when we buy land and build a, a custom one she could do that but she's doing the memphis mm -hmm. grizzlies all their office space she's designing all that that sounds awesome but but for tim i wanted tim's interpretation i had yours and i had patrick's but i you know you guys coming away from the outside looking in i wanted to see what you saw i wanted to see it through your eyes and i wanted to understand how it helped you and how it could be more beneficial to you and then and then here we are a year later mm -hmm. on the anniversary this is like we're doing this podcast now because we just this is dcac week and we just finished the conference and i'm like okay you've got the second one in the bag you gave me some really unfiltered and really valuable feedback yesterday and i agreed with all of it and there are major improvements that we can make on that program next year and we certainly will oh yeah but now knowing that i see what it, that it did for you and you're here now mm -hmm. and now i have tim and he came out, and we had multiple active-duty people that were at the conference. Oh, yeah. Officers, enlisted. For sure. Males, females. I mean, I think there was probably – I mean, I'll have to go back and look at the list, but I bet you we had 50% more veterans than we did last year, maybe even 75%. So every year we grow, and uh, – it organically grows on itself, and we've never had a big mission to, it wasn't about making money or making this huge thing, it was about how do we make the biggest impact. I think we sold, you know, I know we sold more than 700 tickets this year, but I was happy to see so many veterans, and there was a lot of veterans that are here, mm -hmm. you know, like Alan at HDR, Tony, you know, right. there's a bunch of people that were pulling together and be like, how can I help? And, you know, Dave from QTS was, dude, he's awesome, he does a lot of stuff that helps all kinds of charity things, and he got done and came up to me, he's like, hey, I'm gonna, introduce you to this group and it's like you know the zach brown band does a lot of things for veterans and he's like hey i do these things in alignment with this stuff and maybe you should contribute to that too and i'm like it just it activated all these veterans that are already in the industry mm -hmm. as well so you have active duty plus it really became something that all the veterans that were already aware are now like okay so then there's something i could be a part of too so we're we're drawing more of them in and um and i sat down with tim to ask what his interpretation was so he could take that back to the fleet he's an active duty master chief mm -hmm. he's got plenty of time on the pond still left and he has time to think about those things you're coaching him on the transition stuff and he has plenty of time to do it but more importantly he's going to help us figure out how to connect between us and them from the inside mm -hmm. you know a master chief has like you said 
Master Chief means you're in the top 1% of the Navy. That's right. So he has the ability with that mafia of chiefs that you guys have to be able to say, hey, can you talk to this or do you, you want, you know, and, and they will listen more. And that is what's going to get us onto more of the bases so that whatever the Navy does from transit, you know, the TAP program and all the things mm-hmm. you need to process out, we could just contribute to that one of those things and be oh, a yeah. part of it and organize it and coordinate it from the grassroots level, from the deck plate level to us. Yeah, and we're going to do the same thing with Army bases yep. and Air Force bases 100%. and Marine Corps bases. I mean, we're, Daniel's already doing base visits out in California at Camp Pendleton. Yep. I mean, I think he's done three or four of them. Wait till and we do the Fort Hood. We're going to do a oh golf yeah, tournament up there. Fort Hood and yeah, there's going to be tons of people that we can help contribute into this space, and it's going to benefit them on a personal basis because the more purpose we give them, the more, especially on the Army side, they have the lo- the highest um, percentage of suicide, right? right? And and if we could take those folks, and now that we've discovered that there's a massive um, glide path for them to contribute to this space. I well, th- the... the biggest thing I think that contributes to veteran suicide from my point of view is a veteran will fall off the radar and what I mean by that is they get out of service and they you know they're having a hard time assimilating back into the civilian world and we're all kind of the same like there's so many different things you can do after the military it's like how do I choose how do I how do I align my skill set to a civilian career? And then, you know, those cycles and then the stress and trauma of what different people experience. Because you just don't know what somebody is experiencing until you have that conversation. And it goes back to uh, Singleton that we were talking about, right? Like, I do buddy checks all the time for people that I've served with, you know? Yeah, buddy check. I usually... I do it on Fridays and Saturdays after I have a couple drinks out in the back patio. I'm like, text the guy, how you doing, man? And I'll just scroll through. You know, 20 years in the military, you got a lot of phone numbers, and people keep phone numbers forever. Yeah. Or you have them on social media, so you can hit them on, you know, whatever. But I'll just reach out and be like, hey, what's going on? You know? Touch base. Yeah. And, and those things are so important, just those little things. I can't tell you how many times I'll just call somebody randomly, and they'll be like, man, Thanks for calling to check on me, you know? I have a, there's a guy named Frank Birchie in this space, and he's, he's a, he's stud, super stud. He works at a line where I used to work at, but he used to run a lot of the Davidson operations for Digital Liberty Trust, huge company. Been through it all. This guy is battle tested. He just will randomly every now and then, not even send a message. It'll just be like a meme or yep. a picture of something, and that's his way of saying, hey, what's up, bro? You okay? Yep. And, and every now and then I'll flip him one back arbitrarily, randomly at something, and I think it doesn't take much, man. It's just letting people know you're still there, right? And and he you're does. thinking of them from yeah. time to time. You wanna you wanna make sure they're okay. And Virtue does. He's one of the best at that, right? But you obviously do an amazing job at it too. But you know, going full circle because we're bringing this comp- this podcast home right now is, you know, now that you have your second BCAC under your belt, there will be a time where it'll be you doing these podcasts with the you know you and Tim will be doing this podcast next time. And you're gonna ask him what was your second one like, you know, and and then it's just going to be one sure. of these things where we're going to keep the flywheel spinning. And it started with you. It started with you coming and you buying into the program and understanding our mission, understanding the purpose. And let's be honest, you could probably go make more money right now doing something else wherever you want to be. And right now you're satisfied uh, letting us 
you know, do our best to get us to the point where, you know, rising tides are going to lift all the boats and, and let's just kind of build into this machine and yep. get it flying and let's all suffer a little bit along the way so that in a long time, no one has to suffer a lot, you know? It's like I said, you got to have a solid foundation and yeah. that's what we're building here. We're building a solid foundation and those rising tides will benefit everybody that helped create that foundation. I think... You know, I'm going to wrap this up with a couple of questions for you that I always ask a lot of people, and I want to hear, you know, what your answers are. But I do believe that the message that we want to tell people is what I was trying to get out of you in the first part of this conversation is why did you take the rate you took? And mm -hmm. it wasn't because you had experience. It's because that's what you felt passionate about. And when you got into it, you did a whole career with it because the passion was right. You didn't join the military to make money. You did it to make a difference, and you, you did it after September 11th. You had a purpose. Mm-hmm. I think that when people like that join and do something and the, you know that you're not doing it to make money, you're doing it to make a difference and you have a purpose, when you leave, it's equally going to be as important for you to find something that you can be passionate about regardless if you don't have experience mm -hmm. because you can learn those things. And our industry favors that lack of experience or gives a greater advantage to the people that are new entering that space because we reinvent ourselves so much in this space that whatever experience you have, it doesn't really help as much. It's more about how much are you willing to grow and evolve. And learn. And learn. Because you, it's easy to learn where we pick up from, but what about where that leaves off at? You're going to still have to con be a part of contributing to that development evolution. Right. I think the Army guys are the best at that. I mean, look at – they were, for me, for many years, the, the, the ones that were probably looked over the most, all the infantry people, because we're in what's called high-tech or technology. And when you see – when Jesse and Anthony are enlisted – an officer combat infantry. And those guys will tell you that like, Kirk, I was in a job in the military where I was rewarded based on how well I can shoot other people. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't normally say, that's gonna make you amazing in high tech or data centers. <laughs> and I would have never thought that either. But what I have discovered is now I know why. And it's because of the pressure testing, the emotional mm -hmm. cap capacity they have to moderate their emotion in the most stressful situations. And those stressful situations could include life and death situations. So they, they are the best at rotating and shifting things into a relative basis that it belongs at, you know? And Absolutely. But that doesn't equate on a resume on, I was combat infantry and I could now fucking help build the data center or I could manage the project management team or any of those things. But the reality is we've proven that it is not only possible, but it's effective. Mm -hmm. And you're proof that this program that we're trying to do, even though we haven't evolved it, it's not mature, it's not done, we know that we're on the right path. We, we're sitting in the right church, maybe the wrong pew. Soup it's, isn't done cooking. Yep. So we have more ingredients and we're getting them. But listen, we're only going to get there by collecting more people with more great ideas mm -hmm. and capabilities that can contribute to the vision. Yeah. My job is not to tell you the solution. It's just to tell you the, what we need to get to. It's your guys' job to solve for that solution. So, like, when I got back to the compound yesterday and everyone's like, you know, Gonzo's like, hey, Kirk, I got some ideas. I want to do this and this and this. I'm like, cool. And then go find something and go find more people to do, do that. Well, not and then now we got missioncritical.jobs. Yeah. We so have a bunch of LinkedIn groups. Missioncritical.jobs is going to be a really great uh, domain for us to tether from in and out of multiple different veteran groups and we'll be able to guide and traffic all that back and then through that process it back into the industry with mm -hmm. multiple applicants it should be i'm hoping to make the most impactful thing mm -hmm. on on the veteran community and the, and the mission critical the mission critical industry struggles with supply chain 
they tend to think that it only means the widgets, but it also means the labor that builds the, the widgets people. and delivers the and people. installs the widgets. None of this works without the people. So we're in the labor business. The primary line of business we use to generate revenue is the human resource, not the product that we that the product that we sell is the, the, the professional service of a human. So we need to we need to build that product as good as we can, which means we invest heavy into them from an emotional perspective. Mm -hmm. We need to gather more of them and we need to put them into this space so others can discover them and pick them off. So we'll be doing all kinds of staff augmentation things where I'll just hire more people. I'll hire a hundred people myself. Yep. I'll keep them on my books and let people try and buy them. And if that's what it takes to mitigate the risk, then I'll take the risk on my shoulders myself. Yep. And and that's why, that's why we'll continue to humbly struggle along at a slow, steady cadence to where we don't compromise one thing for the other, right? And it's not about, it, we have to enjoy this journey. Like we have multiple people that have tried to acquire us or invest into us or do something or merge with us. I'm like, what's the point? You know, we're not in a race. We're, we're not focused on that result of the destination of a change of control or an equity transaction. Incremental process of a day is the only thing we focus on, improving the daily process because the results take care of themselves. Absolutely. So I appreciate everything you're doing. I want to hear, um, hear two things based on where you stand now with three years act out of active duty, but being exposed to the you mission. You mean three months. Three months. Three months out of active duty service, so your mind hasn't even begun to slow down. I mean, it's a freight train, right? You're coming out of the military where everybody's operating like this, mm -hmm. and now you're down here where people are still effective, but they operate at a different airspeed, right? Mm -hmm. Not a bad airspeed. It's just different, and we have to acclimate to that. And mm -hmm. it's going to take you a year. Oh. A year to transition at, at least, up yeah. here to where you're engaging. You can engage with your military veteran counterparts differently than you can our civilian counterparts, and I learned that too, right? Mm -hmm. And that's okay, that's great. Now we know, we can mm -hmm. fix that. And we, you know, we could find a way to evolve to a whole person that is really just more of that than this. I think, I think that as you go through this transition, I'll continuously be asking you a couple different questions. And those questions will start with this. What do you tell people you do right now? I do veteran placement for the data center industry. And, and when you tell them that, what do they say? Well, what do you mean the data center industry? So what we wanna do is find a way to where I could ask you that question and you have an answer that doesn't lead to another question. That's well, I, I like another question. Mm, I want people, I don't want. I mean, how would you answer it? If well, I ask you, what, what you do you do? You don't get to answer my question oh, with a question, I, Chief. Hey. I get I to ask how, questions. I don't care how ninja you uh, we've, are. We've come to that <laughs> point of the conversation. What would you say? I do. I The reason why I won't say is because I don't want you to use my narrative. I want to see if you could discover one on your own that's better than mine, right? Mm. So you don't, okay. get, you don't get the answer to the test yet for me. No, and I like that. Because you know, what happens, I like that perspective. When I tend to tell people my answer, then they tend to adopt that as their answer, and that's where it stops evolving. So for me, I'll share with you my thoughts, but... I don't want you to rally around that. I mm -hmm. want you to beat that. I want you to make one better. Mm -hmm. Fair? Fair. So Fair next, enough. be prepared because I'm going to ask you that question as a oh, challenge. I mean, well, have I not executed when you've asked for things? So I bet you, I bet you, I have an answer in the next in the next thirty days. Look, you're not a person. What I have to worry about with you is for you to to shut it down sometimes because yeah. you're like me which means that you're so internally driven that you will, um, 
I can't count the number of times on a Friday night when I got done doing whatever with my family. And I sat down, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to check a couple emails here. At one thirty in the morning or whatever. And it's Saturday at 2 in the morning. I'm like, damn, I got to sleep. And then I, you, you, do, you send it. And I'm like, oh, you're up kind of late. Oh, yeah. You're the only one that when I'm sending emails at 1130, you're the one that's sending me responses within five minutes. I'm like, you mean you have problems, Jesse? Yeah, and well, I mean, it's, it's, a, veteran, so it's a veteran thing, right? Like sometimes we don't have the best sleep, right? I got a lot of things on my mind, and I need something to maybe, calm those thoughts down. So productive. I dive into work, yeah. and it, it helps me. So it focuses me. It gets my mind off those, those cycles that I do don't want to deal with that I want to put back in the box um, but one thing I would say that has been most beneficial throughout my transition is I, I started doing therapy I had never I had never done it throughout my career and uh, my wife is like hey you know you can do this telehealth um, you can do this teletherapy and you don't even have to go in and, and that was created due to COVID but what a great resource that the VA and the military has adopted, like telehealth, teletherapy. Now, I've done it three different times or four different times, and it, I, I've used a different therapist every time, but it's conversations about this long, you know, two hours. I think, I'm, think I'm supposed to book it at an hour and a half, and we usually go over, and I've, thank goodness the therapists have been great. They're like, yeah, you know, let's finish this out. Let's wrap it up, you know, 15 yeah. more minutes. But seek that help out you know therapy Get it off your chest therapy is not about admitting that you're broken therapy is about changing your thought cycles to be more stable and to deal with those emotions that you have put in the box that if you don't open them up voluntarily from time to time they're going to explode uncontrollably at volatile. times that yeah. you you don't want them to so open those boxes have those conversations seek out you know somebody to have a back and forth with whether it's a therapist whether it's a peer whether it's somebody in your past somebody that you can just share with and it makes a big difference i think that if people that are listening don't know where to start find jesse kendrick on linkedin instant message him I promise you he'll respond immediately and probably make 10 phone calls and make sure that you get an appointment my thing is we all need that we and and Jake Schick uh, gave the morning opening thank you address you know at DCAC this year Jake Schick is um, disabled veteran combat marine uh, third generation I think mm-hmm. amazing guy you know Jocko's podcast he's been in movies I mean he was you know I'm talking to him and he's like texting Bradley Cooper type shit, you know, just mm-hmm. an awesome guy, but he runs One Tribe, which was yeah. formerly 22 Kill, and that guy has a a really amazing way of communicating, and he was on stage and he was like, listen, here's the worst part about our, our gladiators, our soldiers, is they don't complain about the mental side of what they do because that's not what warriors do. It's like the John Wayne mentality. And, and what I tell people, you know, because we advise a lot of, I have a lot of questions. People are like, what do you do with all the guys on your team that have PTSD? I'm like, it's it's simple. I create an environment in which they feel safe. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I have to do. Yeah. And and then I give them the ability to either speak to me or someone else that can really um, listen well enough to help them. Just sometimes that's all you got to do is listen. But we all need someone to pressure test. You know, we need a partner of some kind or a colleague or a peer. And a therapist can fill in for that if you don't mm-hmm. have those things. Right. It, the only be- benefit of that is that they're trained professionally and how to help navigate you through those things better than an untrained professional. 
but I do think it's critical that we do that. We would never trivialize or question anybody for the physical therapy they do to rehabilitate their body after combat. Why would we ever question the integrity of their mind? Because what I've seen in Jesse and Anthony are shining examples of what an effective person can do with the right support because now they've both weaponized their PTSD to where they're massively more productive and efficient than, you know, they are the 1%. Mm -hmm. Like what Jesse's capable of producing and what Anthony are capable of producing because of they've weaponized their PTSD is beyond what they would be able to do if they didn't have it now. So right. it's no longer a negative. It's a, it's a force multiplier advantage for how they execute their profession. So let's find ways to where people, and, and if we're not the right answer, then we'll make phone calls to groups, but we will be partnering with more of those teletherapy groups that are going to mm -hmm. be able to offer that. We'll offer that to our own employees. Just like I'm putting, you know, I'll make body healing, you know, a part of their benefit right. package, you know. Yeah. <coughs> Chiropractic and massage and stuff because they have to take care of their bodies and their minds or they're not going to be productive for us. So last question, last message. This podcast will reach the fleet. Mm -hmm. There will be people that will listen on active duty. There's captains of submarines that we're friends with, cops of submarines that we're friends with, guys that are at the naval stations that are going to be talking to their ships and their peers about it. Right. What's the message you want to leave these veterans? Are these active duty military people right now, whether they're on an Army base, an Air Force base, whatever, doesn't matter. No matter whether you've done one year, <coughs> two years, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, there is a whole nother world that needs you. And it, <clears throat> it's, it's daunting to do the transition. It is, it's, it's fear of the unknown, <coughs> right? Like it's easier for the guys that transition earlier. So the ones that do one tour, but nobody's path is the same, Yeah. right? Nobody comes from the same branch, the same uh, base and tr transitions the same way. It's unique for each individual doing it. So seek out resources. Please, please mm -hmm. leverage LinkedIn. There are so many good groups out there and so many good veteran groups. Um, but you have, to, you have to take a chance. You have to take a chance and say, hey, I'm going to try something that I'm not familiar with. I'm going to try LinkedIn, and I'm going to see what I can do with that to, <clears throat> to change my trajectory coming out of the military. And if you do that, and you, there's there's people that will invest time into you for free, you know. Like Kirk said, email me. I'll get you on the calendar. I'll I'll dedicate thirty minutes to going <coughs> over different things or just just <coughs> making sure you're okay and providing you resources. But you have to reach out. You have to reach out to people and say, hey, <coughs> I need help. How do I do this? Um, so that's. That would be my message to everybody out there in the armed services is think about your transition plan. Start working it 18 to 12 months out and utilize those resources that are out there. And if you don't know what they are, email us. Yeah, my last thing on top of that I would say, Chief, is <coughs> Operation Spark was created to be a, a – a weapon for transitioning veterans to get into the mission critical space. Mm -hmm. Operation Spark, though, has helped civilians as well. Correct. So if you're listening, like I said, you don't have to be a veteran to have PTSD. No, nope. everybody's you, got a story. Everybody's got a history. And you don't have to be a veteran to have anxiety or 
mm-hmm. struggle with transitioning from your current job to the next. But I do think this, if you're listening and you're not military and you're like, well, what's the point? I, I'm not a veteran. Reach out to us anyway. Yeah. If we could help you find another job. There's groups like, remember, I mean, some of our first clients we were start, signing up for Spark. I remember even Data Bank. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, what happens if we find a groups? And they're just amazing people, but they're, you know, like the guy that we have, like Jeremy from Liberia. I'm like, right. what if they're great people, but they're not veterans? But they can contribute, and they they they're they mi- fit the culture. They have a veteran mindset. Yeah, and if they can be a member of the team, I think that's what every business corporation, whatever they just they want people that can come in and be part of a team because it's not one person does one thing, it's the team does stuff. Whether it's a data bank, <coughs> whether it's a um, IS JLL whatever it's all those things are team efforts so if you if we find somebody civilian veteran that we know is going to gel well with the team yeah you know we'll, we'll let that reach out known. to us too and like honestly even if you're just struggling if we can't help you we'll find someone that can so i appreciate your time thanks for staying i know you got to get to the airport too but i i hope that the second the second dcac was just as meaningful as the first one for you and oh I hope absolutely that I hope that you can help continue to be a part of this cycle. Let's just keep repeating this model but improving upon it each time we do it. Is that fair? Fair enough. And uh, only thing I would say is next time you have me on, let's do a, a later one so that we can we can have some of that brown water. Well, listen, if we're going to do that, it's going to not be DCAC <laughs> week because I believe that I drank more in this week than I've done in the last, like, five months. So yeah, doing an AM podcast without the booze has been a pleasant Surprise. Yes, but I do like the video. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.